What's up, Beersicles? Just a couple notes of housekeeping. First of all, don't be dismayed by the length of this episode because I think you'll find it is worth the length to have a great conversation in studio with Keith Giles returning to the show to talk about his new book, Jesus Undefeated. So consume it in any way you feel like it. Hit stop, hit pause, come back to it, drink it in all at once. It's all good. That's the beauty of podcasting. We do what we want when we make these, and you can do what you want when you listen to them. One thing that does come up during this conversation is the heartbreaking story of the Bethel family that lost their two-year-old girl, and they were praying for four or five days for resurrection, and so we talk about that a little bit, Um, but that story has since changed and will continue to grow and develop so i will have a couple of links to articles regarding that story uh, one of which will have come out since we actually recorded this episode so feel free to check that out if you would like and lastly feel free to send feedback comments reviews all that stuff give us a review on apple Podcasts; that really helps and then brosbiblesbeer.com and Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is at Bros Bibles Beer. We'd love to hear from anybody and everybody. And with that, let's dig into Keith Giles. Peace. I feel like my ministry is sort of introducing Christians to Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of what I feel wait, like wait. I'm doing. We had to stop for a moment there. Already going, Jeff. Are we going? I don't know where you were. I, I, hear, uh, I don't hear anything. You don't hear anything? No, I do. Okay. Kind of. So, uh, George George Zimmerman's back in the news. Did you hear about that? Oh, wait, what was the deal? Yes, I did. He's suing the family, Trayvon Martin's Maybe family, right? The family. But why? The prosecutor, um, the lawyer. And oh. what's... Um, why? So, apparently... One of the witnesses that they brought forward, Trayvon's girlfriend. Um, Thanks for starting us off on something super light, <laughs> Scott. Hey, you're welcome. This is just something. Anytime. Like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so Trayvon had a girlfriend that he was texting and possibly talking to during the time of the incident. Uh, she was 16 years old, um, but the uh, prosecutors and the or the uh, sorry the lawyer. Um, had her sister testify as her. So essentially they lied about uh, who she was. Uh, so the actual oh. girlfriend didn't, wasn't the one that but I thought, testified. But he didn't go to, did he go to jail? No. But he got off. So what's he suing for? Well, just because if, if they didn't have the testimony that she, the, her testimony, um, they might not have even gone to trial. Oh. Potentially. Okay. Yeah. His name just gets damaged. Yeah, and he's trying to he's trying to get his name uh trying to uh get his name back because Right. But well, yeah, so if this is true, that gives him an, uh some credibility, some more credibility. Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, dude, just leave it alone. I know but exactly. Then, yeah. But then if 
there was actually they they actually lied yeah that's not about good. a witness <laughs> yeah it sucks the, the lawyer should go to jail um if the prosecutor yeah, if the lawyer was knew, in on it and yeah that's not good yeah wow scott thanks that's um <laughs> hey, current events current events yeah a little news and, and now over to, now over to our traffic cam didn't i send you guys something no some current event i think i sent it to you no no different no. yeah and you're like yeah yeah Maybe we should talk about that. Oh, you sent me a tweet. First of all, can we acknowledge the uh, fourth voice in the room? No, not yet. What's okay. the tweet? Okay. Is God here? Not yet. We haven't invited the Holy Spirit here yet. So we'll see if uh, they show up. <laughs> Careful with my pronouns. Yep, they. They's, so, they's coming. I tweeted something? Or no, I, no, you shared a tweet. Oh, okay. And, Keith, feel free to chime in or whatever anytime, but I have it pulled up, if I may, Jeff. Please, because I can't find it. Uh, Krista in Dalton on Twitter uh, said, as I wrote in my dissertation, the logic of reciprocity is a constant social understanding, which I'm not even sure what that means. Nope. That's a little bit above my pay grade, but she was referring to laminated... Uh, Let's see, Ian Bogust on oh, Twitter. Laminated script currency that's meant to be used by <laughs> petitioners with autotithe setup in order to preserve the social signal of contributing something to the offering plate. So, so the basket picture. Yeah. They have so fake the, money. Yeah, fake money. The basket's going around, and so if you're an auto giver, then it you says auto giver on yeah, it. You have your your laminated dollars. You just drop that in. And you put that in. Did did it say what what and there's denominations on them too, but it doesn't really count, right? Like you're oh, all it really it counts says, is your joyfully place yeah. this card. But it's this, it's the kind of the social constructs uh-huh. of being at church and the offering coming around and people saying yes, um, I do this. Does I'm everybody giving. see me doing this? You see me giving. even better, Scott. You were right. It does have the denominations. There's three. No, no, which church denomination? Oh. Yeah. Good question. Those are Baptists. It's gotta but, be Baptists. But, <laughs> but this is for this is for people who are auto donating. So they've donated yeah, yeah, online. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's I got get it. it. I We've got all it. got it. Yeah. I understood. Be- but it's yeah, because because otherwise, if I didn't do that and the thing came around and I put nothing in, everyone around me would assume that guy doesn't. Right. Tithe. Right. So I need to be able to to visibly show people. Look at me. I do give. See, look at this little thing. I'm still dropping in. Yeah, it's what you think of me. That's what more important. Yeah. I want to see. So it's a picture that part of the bill, part of one side of the laminated bill, is obscured. I see reference to our ministries, something, something, something. It looks like generosity of God. Uh, so I don't see a specific denomination or church. Uh, I'm. But it does say uh, it's a dollar bill looking thing, auto giver. It says joyfully place this card joyfully. In, the, in the offering plate yeah. if you've set up regular automatic right. gifts to the church on our website. There are three dollar amounts. Jeff, don't answer if you remember them. There are three dollar amounts conveniently listed, and one of them in this case is highlighted to, to delineate what your auto gift is that you're placing into the basket. You want to guess the three amounts? Take a stab at it. I actually don't know. I'll take uh, a stab at it too. One hundred, five hundred, and a thousand. 
Okay. Good guess. I will go with 20, 50, and 100. Oh, that's about what I was going to guess. I will say 100, 200, 300. It's 100, 200, and 500. Ooh, you're closest. In this case, the auto-giver has 200 circled or highlighted and that that in itself is pretty manipulative like <laughs> suggestion you, you don't get right. to be seen putting this gift into the basket unless you reach these levels right you can't be a $20 giver you can't right. be a $50 giver oh no it's scott scott this with his is... poverty mentality I know. 10 15 and 20 <laughs> or whatever the hell you said. $2 $5 <laughs> and $10 <laughs> i i i want to say and this story is fake until i see it didn't like a specific Denomination. Yeah, is there a church associated? Yeah. What church? Came I'm up saying with this? this is an Onion article. Okay. You know what? Although I wouldn't put it, I although I kind of believe that there is there are churches out there that would do this, but I'm gonna. I think there are get, churches that would totally do everyone this. the benefit of the doubt. Let's and say, say if, this is fake. If this is a joke, someone is gonna go. That is a great idea, and they're gonna <laughs> yeah. do it right. <laughs> Because one way or the other, I can I can totally see churches like I've been yeah. I've seen churches like in the men's room. There's signs about like how to give how to give online and all that stuff. Like it's it's kind of in your face. But, and I could see another reason why to do it. So if if you have yeah sixty sixty percent of the congregation is donating online, as the basket's going around, uh, no, no one's putting. Yeah, that. people are saying no one's no one's putting anything in. So I'm. Yeah. Why would maybe I shouldn't put it right? And in, so in. yeah, let's imagine like you're at the back, and then the basket's coming around. And you know, it's already gone. And it's empty, and there's nothing <laughs> in it, or there's like a dollar, and then you're like, man, this church is going under. Well, I know for a fact, um, <laughs> for the most part of the church Jeff and I attend, do not pass a plate um, leading mm. up to Christmas. They are, which is interesting, but I'll leave that alone. Uh, they typically don't pass something because they were noticing empty envelopes people would just put an envelope <laughs> so that they could years be seen back. years back yeah and and so they're like okay so if people are gonna be faking forget it let's not even put them through those that that yeah. motion which yeah. i really appreciated mm-hmm. yeah we we uh we were such a small congregation that when when we would pass it around it would just be awkward um so I suggested one day that we just stop doing it, and we have an offering box outside. So we haven't done it in probably yeah. a year. Um, we stopped passing it around. We just have the yep. offering box because it, it, it just gets it's awkward. At one point, we were holding up our phones. It was like if you're an auto giver, really, while we're doing this, hold up your phones if you're an auto giver. So it's like to say like I give, I'm giving, yes. I give on my, you know, that was when they were doing a and put, it, and it would show a hundred dollars. One hundred dollars. No, you're just holding up your phone, yeah, and just to say, you know, to be recognized because that they're recognizing that people congratulations feel they got their recognition, right. right, and they lose their jewel in heaven or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know what? So I, I think this is related to what this what we're talking about because I had a friend of mine tell me one time. Um, he was at church, and there was this couple in front of him, and the entire he's like he was like oh, my blood was boiling because the entire service the guy was on his phone the entire time, and he's like it made him so angry, and and he's kind of like should I say something? Oh, why do people even come to church? You're gonna sit there and be on your phone and texting and playing games, whatever you're doing. Anyway, 
when it was finally over and everyone stood up, the guy put his phone down and he could see it was open to like the Bible. Right. So what he was doing was reading the Bible, but it was on his phone. Yep. But he had made the assumption, oh, he's just goofing off on his phone. Right. right? Was this like in 2007? <laughs> Yeah, with, uh, with the first Bible apps were coming to maybe, the floor. Maybe, maybe. Now I'm just, I just thank God every Sunday because now everybody's got the app on their phone. So if so I'm checking know. my fantasy football, nobody will know. <laughs> no one knows. Nobody just kind of go, just kind of not amen. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Amen. Yes, Christian McCaffrey. Amen. <laughs> Running back today. I don't know why I ever questioned Christian McCaffrey. Amen. <laughs> May it be. All right, well, we've exhausted that. Let's move on to your other... Okay, one more. Your other current event. This still feels weird. We haven't technically introduced our guests, but you guys said wait, so we're yeah, going to wait. we're waiting. That's okay. Okay, continue to comment. We'll have a drum roll later. Yeah, we'll put it in in post. Yeah, fix it in post. Uh, it, this is uh, Bethel, a family from Bethel Church. Um, Keith, you know Bethel Church, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, I know who they are. I'm guessing you have thoughts. I do. A, a Bethel family seeks to bring daughter back to life through prayer. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about that? I saw I, what I the headline I saw said mother uh, asked Bethel Church to pray for her daughter's resurrection. I'm like that. It was on Drudge too. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. yeah, it's it's becoming uh, big news. Um, It'll be even bigger news if the kid comes back to life. That would be huge. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that. I, I think, think that would be pretty. <laughs> I think that would not just big. make Drudge. That would maybe make, I don't know, ABC News, NBC, CNN. I think yeah. That would be massive. Unless there is a conspiracy against Christians. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah, I know they do. Yeah. Um, so. But uh, after the sudden death of, so we're, what's the date today? 17th? 18th. 18th of December <clears throat> is when we're recording this. Uh, hopefully it'll be out soon before Christmas. Merry yeah. Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy if New not, Year. Yeah. Um, sudden death of their daughter last week, one Bethel Church family has taken the unusual step of enlisting others at the Reading Megachurch to attempt to bring the child back to life. Since Saturday, and this is Wednesday, uh, so this is day four, um, they've been using prayer, music, and singing in the effort um, I'll post the link. Uh, I don't know. If, I guess the, I could use the names. It's in the news article, but I'll post the link, link in the uh, show notes. And they're using, is it Matthew ten eight? Was that the verse? That's kind of their, their mantra. Um, does anybody have that pulled up? I suppose we could read the actual verse. I, the last I episode that we had out with at Matt Sather's house, we kept referencing stories. I don't remember exactly where it is. And then we'd like say the story and it was like over and over again. I'm like, okay, that's going to be appreciated by some who are like, who don't know the Bible that well. They don't care. But the people that do know the Bible are just going to be like grinding their teeth right. into their skull. Like, just yeah. the verse, read it. Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you received, freely give. Yeah, that's when Jesus sends the disciples out, right? Two by two. Um, so I'm not going to read the, re- read the rest of the article, but there was an Instagram post uh, for day four uh, from, I believe, the mother saying day four is a really good day for resurrection. All hail, make way for King Jesus. Thank you so much for joining your faith to ours. We feel your strength and radical belief. Keep declaring life over all of Elaine with us. It is finished. Mm. Were his last words before 
bursting back in resurrection life. So we're not done. It is finished, so we're not done. This is awakening. Come, Olive, come. Hmm. Come alive, Olive, sorry. So the the thing about that, I, I, can we just, I just probably should say, uh, I uh, I know someone who has, uh, I, and I believe this, I believe it's a true story. Um, so I know this person and her daughter died uh, in the operating room. Her, her uh, family doctor was a surgeon, was the one working on, on the daughter. Tried everything he could, could not res- could could not revive her, couldn't save her. She she was dead on the table. He sent everyone out of the operating room. When everyone had left the operating room, he laid on top of her body because that's what uh, I think that's what Peter does or something. There's some place in the Bible where they Peter was a freak. He lays on top of the dead body and then prays and then the uh, person came back to life. Anyway, that's what the doctor did. He he got up on the table, laid on her and and prayed and he said. Uh, Jesus, you have to bring her back because I cannot go out there in the hallway and tell her that her daughter is dead. Mm. And her heart monitor started beeping and she mm. came back. Um, I wow. believe that. Well, and I know that story is true because I've met the daughter. Mm. So I, I've seen all of them. I've heard the whole story. I've met all of them. And so I believe that story. So I say that just to say, I do believe those kinds of miracles are possible. However, I think at the same time in this particular case, what concerns me the most is like, if there's not some amazing miracle and that child doesn't come back to life, what does that do to the faith of that family? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you can see, even just reading that part of the story right now, they are all in, they have so right. much faith, absolute faith. Right. I mean, there, there's tens of thousands of likes and tons yeah. of comments. There was a, I don't know the number now, but as of last night, uh, Tuesday, the 17th. Uh, I just did math, Jeff. Were you proud? Um, <laughs> as of last night, there was like almost 40,000 in their fundraising page that somebody set up, which, you know, personally, I'm like, okay, after this is all done, where does that money go? Right. What, what's it going to be used for? I want to follow that because that feels, anytime money is involved that much and it's generous, people are generous. It just yep. feels, it, it always gets icky for me, but Lots of money, lots of, imp- I mean, it's it's a story that's building and exploding, but you're right, Keith, I, that's what I struggle with. I feel like, and, and full disclosure, we know people, a lot of people at our church, we're not like affiliated with Bethel or anything, but there's some crossover. People have gone to oh, yeah. their school, they've, they've gone to their classes and come back, and um, we know people, mm-hmm. but man, I... Personally, I really struggle with that. It feels like a version of prosperity, like a sneaky prosperity gospel that if you talk to the Bethel people, I guarantee you they would not, they say they're not prosperity driven. But I think Keith, you're onto something with the logic of what what went wrong. If we're declaring this, if God says on earth as it is in heaven, yep. and it's not happening on earth as it is in heaven... What what's wrong? Where's yeah. the disconnect? We're you doing something wrong. Called, do you think they've been called to just like the doctor you're mentioning, yeah. who immediately felt called to pray, mm-hmm. lay on the body, and 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 so there's action taken, and so they've been going four days, yeah. but the obviously the parents are in action right away. Same. Um, 
same type of scenario, but um, a little different. One, this child, she died in, in her sleep, I think, in the middle of the night, um, I think was the story. And and the other is, you know, on a hospital right. table. So there's, it's a different... It's a different thing. It's a different scenario here um, where there was work already happening and then it just was over and then came back to life. And this is, you know, in the middle of the night or you woke up and sh- she wasn't... She As wasn't of now, breathing. over four days. Right. Yeah, and the stakes right. are so high. This is what I'm concerned about. Like, okay, so it, it's been four days, right, as of this recording. So how long, how long will this go on until like when is prayer exhausted? five days, 10 days, 20 right. days, a month at some point, at some point soon, if she doesn't miraculously come back to life, um, then what? Like there's only, there's only absolute disappointment, absolute shipwrecking someone's faith, that family, as well as probably hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people who are. Uh, hoping and believing and praying their guts out and fasting and everything. And then if it doesn't happen, um, like that's super, super damaging to people's faith. And you could also say it's a part of their grieving. Yeah. Yeah. I just, again, I'm just concerned for the family. I guess it's right. I'm, I would be concerned for that family of what's going to happen if this doesn't happen. Like, are they just going to say, well, forget it. I don't believe in God. I'm done. I'm going to walk away. Maybe right? not right away, but it, the, the seeds for those, mm-hmm. that kind of deconstruction take place. It, yep. it, you don't, you often can't tell when they were planted and when they bear fruit. And I don't know how much, you know, it, or if you know it all, my story. Um, and it's been told before, so I won't be too long on it, but uh, Lisa and I lost a child when mm-hmm. he was almost five months. He would be 13 now. Wow. And I know personally, uh, when you don't allow yourself to grieve, that can have repercussions in the future that bear, bears fruit later on in any number of ways. Yeah. Uh, and that's my worry for them. Like uh, my heart breaks that she died yeah. and I love, I love their faith. I feel like it's personally, I feel like it's misguided and they're, De- delaying the grieving process um and so that's one worry also i'm part of my deconstruction was like why are we praying for certain people to be healed when they reach a certain age we stop praying for healing yeah we pray for comfort and wisdom <laughs> and you know that yeah. the family can get together uh and but if there's no death or sickness in heaven there's no and there's eternal life like the logic continues that you would pray on earth as is in heaven, even for old ass people like yourself, Jeff. So, <laughs> but, but I bet I'm older than him though. He, you might be, but yeah. that's the running joke. Is okay. He's the, the patriarch of the podcast. Okay. And <laughs> Shut up, Zach. All right. I was, I was so slow. I was, I'm so old. It takes me so long to get to the board. Your reaction time. It'll be quicker next time. But, it, it's why do we at a certain point it shifts and it's like well yeah it's their time for it's easy to say it's not her time because she's so young right and i understand that but it either there's healing or there's not and i, I don't get it like i don't know what to make of the story you told keith yeah. uh it it's a struggle for me like i have part of my my belief system that has an open hand to that type of thing because ultimately I do have a faith in 
a Palestinian Jew that mm. I believe was raised from the dead. But I just know that's not how life works, at least yeah. not from for um, basically 100% of all verified. Any verified case is like there's life and there's death and nobody gets out of it. So even if she was raised from the dead, she's going to die. Yeah. Lazarus yeah. raised from the dead. Yeah. Then he died. He went like a jackass and died again. <laughs> so... Do you do you believe the Palestinian Jew in Matthew ten twenty and ten eight when he tells his disciples I like to it, go Scott. out to heal? That's the like, sick. if we're having a debate, that's a great <laughs> technique. I'm not prepared for for that. Okay, uh, that is just um, a question. I I don't I don't have yeah. No, but I, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm sure that what the Bible is or isn't. So what? So so great this question, is, though, Scott. This is the uh, this is a great conversation because I I struggle with some of this stuff too. Um, I mean, I've seen miracles. My father was healed miraculously. He, I mean, I've seen the answer prayer miracle things happen in my, in, to my son and things like that. Not like back from the dead kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. No, but my, my dad was healed. Uh, he had a crushed vertebrae and I was going to be paralyzed uh, 50-50 chance and w- prayed for him. He went through the CAT scan machine, totally normal. Hmm. It was like the doctor's going, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. X-ray show it crushed. CAT scan shows it's totally fine. He's been fine ever since. No surgery, nothing. Hmm. To the, I mean, that was like 30, 30 something years ago. Hmm. But but at the same time, I so yes, I've seen those kinds of miracles, right? But at the same time, uh, seen I pray for people and they die and they don't see healing, right? Um, and I'm not comfortable. This is kind of what I'm getting with the Bethel thing, because I think Bethel's theology, as I understand it seems to be it's always God's will to heal. Healing is automatic. If you have enough faith, it's going to happen. And then so if it doesn't happen, the way uh, that theology tends to um, explain that, make sense of that, is to say you didn't have enough faith or there was some kind of secret sin in your life, and then it kind of puts guilt back on you, which is the worst thing to happen to someone who's lost a child, to say, oh, your child was probably going to be resurrected. Jesus wanted to bring your child back to life, but... but you just didn't have enough faith. And there not, was some secret sin in your life you hadn't confessed. And then it's now more, add more guilt to that, right? And that's. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that Bethel, they don't have a reformed mindset when it comes to the sovereignty of God. I'm pretty sure it's more of a free will. Mm-hmm. Um, we have choice. God doesn't have these things laid out and, and planned. Right. And so that's what makes it really, you can't default to. There's a comfort in the Calvinist model of. Well, it's part of God's. There's a certain comfort to that. Somehow I think it's God bullshit, has it. But, yeah. No, I agree. But I, uh, I, there is a comfort for that, <laughs> and and there's biblical evidence for that. I will recognize that too. But well, before yeah, my, Scott's shaking his before head, before my Alzheimer's, this is one in. of the areas. First of all, though, everybody knows how much Scott and I disagree about the Bible. But this is one area where we're in. It's all gone. My, my Alzheimer's <laughs> about to kick in. Okay, go. Um, I guess if there's one thing I do know, it's that we get thrown for a loop in our understanding of of the Bible and in our faith when certain things happen. And like you have an experience, Zach, um, with a child passing and this person does and they're, you know, in this four-day prayer and you're like, what they, you're, not what they need, but you're saying what you desire for them is to you know, make sure that they, they grieve and they, you know, don't hold on to this too long um, because it can be detrimental. And um, Keith, the name's out there. Uh, and 
Um, yeah, Keith says last name yet, so he's still technically right. not. Some introduced. guy named Keith is, here. <laughs> um, is saying that there's um, you can cause more damage possibly from you know because of what they believe in at Bethel to go forward in this, and they've lost. They could lose more than yeah. their child, and and ultimately we get to a point where whether it's all four of us and those people and everybody else on planet earth thinks they know, they know the truth. They know what's going to happen. And, and they, you do X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden you get hit by a Mack truck, uh, figuratively speaking, and it throws everything that you believed in, in a whirlwind. And, and then you have to reassess so I'm because your theology doesn't match with right, your experience. Right. So yeah. I'm that's my, I mean, ultimately, I have no idea. These people are praying for four days. God, they've lost a child. Of course, like please pray. This is what I believe in. If it doesn't happen, I guess my prayer for them, my hope also is that that they there would be an impact that would be uh, such a good thing. They're going to be people that are going to look out for for families and children in the future more so than maybe they didn't four days ago. And for them. Yeah, yeah. for their family. Like, yeah. I feel like that's another danger is that in that environment, when everything is geared towards healing here and now because it's God's will, when it doesn't happen, they need to be victorious going forward in life. So how do you... There's so much pressure against them sharing honestly. If there if there's a faith crisis and they're riddled with doubt over this experience, would be which would be totally ra- rational and believable and understandable. You can't when you're surrounded by people that believe there should be healing here and now, always with you know because that's what that's God's will. You can't be honest with where you're at. You can't say I don't I don't fucking know. I'm I I don't understand this and I. I'm, I resent God right now, and I, yeah. uh, you can't go, and that is healthy to be able to explain that stuff. So if you don't, I don't know. That's that's the that's my worry for them too. As that's like a secondary thing. Is like after the fact, are they going to be forced into unintentionally pretending that everything's good and we're experiencing yeah. victory now, even though we, we we are sad we lost our daughter? You know, it's all good, but yeah. So you know, you, under the hood, it may not be all good. Yeah, but so something you were saying, Jesse Jackson, sounds like something he would say. <laughs> so, I don't know. But but so you you made a good point, Zach, about how um, thank you. There's a need. Well, I didn't think of it till you were talking about that. About how like that family has an incredible need for healing, right? Yeah. Like so, if you believe in healing, uh, and Bethel does, and you have so much faith for healing. Uh, I would encourage everyone involved, everyone who knows that family, everyone who goes to Bethel, everyone who loves that family and loved that child. And um, don't forget that there's still a super huge need for healing emotionally for that family if this child isn't isn't brought back to life. And so, because my concern would be if the miraculous, you know, physical healing doesn't happen they're just going to be ignored and like, don't look at them. I don't call them. I'm embarrassed. You know, they kind of get pushed off to the side because it's embarrassing. That didn't happen. And, but yet this family has incredible, even worse wound now than they would have had if they, mm. you know, had just, like yeah. you said, dealt with the emotion immediately. Um, 
now you've got this huge disappointment on top of this death and they are they really need some emotional healing and that I'm hoping there's going to be people that come around them and help them with that because otherwise it's going to be horrible yeah it's it's it and it's not even there's no there's no healing scenario that well from my personal experience there's no healing scenario that's like oh now we're healed but it's the recognition of things the the ability to share with loved ones how you are actually feeling and experiencing and processing and that is the richest part of all this is 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 going through it with people together that you can be totally transparent and honest and i think kind of a prosperity model of like it's god's will to always to heal um i don't think that they're doing it their way it's though, not right? maybe yeah there, there's that too yeah ultimately this is I'm sharing worries and opinions, but ultimately, yeah, maybe this maybe this is part of their pro. It is by definition part of their process. Well, not not that we have exhausted this topic, um, and I'm sure there's some transition that you can do on the podcast. But it is time. It's time. It's time for Keith Giles. Oh, hey, Keith Giles in the house. Hey, hey. hey how do I get in? <laughs> Oh man, Keith Giles. Keith Giles back. G- Jesus. Is this two or three? Undefeated. You know, honestly, I don't know. I oh, okay. It might be three. Did I do one for Jesus Untangled or only for Jesus Unbound? I think Jesus I know Jesus Unbound, Unbound the yeah. last one. Yeah. That's the only one I remember. I think this may be only the second one. And is this the third? Fourth. In uh, the Jesus Un series. Oh, okay. So it, you skipped the, one. The first one was uh, Jesus. So Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Ooh, that a, one had an endorsement from Greg Boyd. Greg did the Boyd. Ford. Yeah, yes. that was huge. I sent him. I sent it to him just just to get an endorsement, and he was like, "This is awesome." I'm like, "Well, could you do a forward?" He goes, "Sure." I'm like, "Yes." That was awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, so Jesus Unbound was uh, the second one, liberating the Word of God from the Bible. We talked about that one. Uh, Brian Zahn did the forward to that one. Um, Jesus Unveiled was the third one. Mm. That was about house church stuff. It's forsaking church as we know Ooh, it. We missed that one. You then. missed yeah, that one. Yeah, that, that came out this year. I put out two books this year. Holy crap, man. Yeah. And then this one. Prolific. The one that just came out in November uh, is Jesus Undefeated, uh, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. I love the title. Thank you. Undefeated. 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 Would yeah. you say you're trying yes. to make Jesus great again? <laughs> I, that's exactly right. Yes. yes, that is what I'm trying to do. I've, I've always said the, um, I feel like my ministry is sort of introducing Christians to Jesus. <laughs> that's kind of what I feel wait, like wait. I'm doing. I want you wait, to stop for a on. moment there. <laughs> I want you to repeat that slower. Yes. I, my ministry is introducing Christians to Jesus, but which is hard to do because a lot of Christians think they already know Jesus. They think they've already, they think they've already got it. And so it makes it really, really challenging. Um, what I mean is that, like, uh, for me, and it didn't always wasn't always this way, right? Um, I had this big epiphany um, like 15 years ago that the gospel wasn't about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die, but the gospel that Jesus preached was the good news of the kingdom, and the message of that was follow me and blah blah blah. And um, so then it was like, oh, I'm supposed to be following Jesus. That's what it, that's what it means to be a Christian, a disciple. So when I made that personal shift, um, that that's when it shifted for me. But I think a lot of Christians are kind of still where I was 
on that before I made that transition where um, they still, it's just this weird thing about like, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I said this last time I was here, uh, but it's sort of like, it's weird to me. It'd be weird to me if I met someone and they said, I'm, I'm a Jew. And I, and I said, Oh, so you, uh, you probably follow Moses, right? Oh no, I don't listen to that guy. Follow him. Yeah. Or if I met a guy who said, I'm a Buddhist and I said, Oh, you probably follow Buddha and the five hope. No, I don't really, I don't really follow Buddha. Like, or I'm, I'm a Muslim. Oh, you probably are really into, uh, Muhammad. Oh, who? No, I don't follow Muhammad. No, I'm not into that. But yet you can be a Christian and it's totally normal, uh, you know, in America at least to be like, I'm a Christian, but I don't follow Jesus. I'm not like the Sermon on the Mount. Nah, not really into that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of this odd, it seems like it's only American Christianity where that's normal. That's sort of uh, okay to be a Christian who doesn't follow Christ. Yeah. I've, I've heard, uh, speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, I have seen pastors talk about uh, veiling the Sermon on the Mount in their their uh, sermons and getting a bunch of feedback that was like, you know, this is just not, we don't like this. And mm-hmm. but and they didn't, they weren't like quoting scripture, but they did a sermon on the Sermon on the, on the Mount and people just were not into it. No. Because it's super difficult. Yeah, it is. What were, what were the... Um, 15 years ago, and I, I, I'm i guessing, I think we did a little bit more of your story in the last time, so we, we don't have to do too much yeah, of that. Yeah, please but, not again. I don't want to tell that story again. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> but were there any resources you were consuming that kind of helped lead you more towards the vein you're in now? Um, Like books? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't a resource that that I had the, the epiphany. It was like a conversation I would have with somebody. Um, But then after I sort of had that, Oh my gosh, I've been, I've missed it this whole time. Um, what did help me uh, was like Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, mm-hmm. um, and then he has another book called uh, Renovation of the Heart. Those two are really great. And then there's another book most people have never heard of. Um, it's called Follow Me, and uh, the author's name is Jan Hedinga, and it's J A N. So it's it looks like Jan, but it's a man. So it's Jan. It's pronounced Jan. I'll allow it. Jan or Jan Hedinga, H-E-T-T-I-N-G. And, and uh, that book, I think, is even better because so many people I know that have tried to read Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard have said, like, I don't get it. it just, I have to read it over and over and over again. It's a it's, beast. It's a hard one to get through. It wasn't hard for me when I read it just because I was kind of— I was already—well, I was already on that page. Like, um, I had already kind of gotten the basic yeah. concepts. So uh, when I'm reading it, I kind of already know where he, what he's trying to say. Um, but the, the follow me— uh, book by Jan Hedinga is excellent because it's it's more like the common man, real simple, very basic, uh, and lots of real world examples of of those kinds. Like so the we could we could get it is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, the average you know you, <laughs> yeah exactly that's what I mean. I didn't realize that. I think um, I think Dallas Willard is I don't know if you call himself an open theist, but I think he's kind of an open theist. Well. He's dead, right? You know that, right? So I don't know what he is now. Well, but. I believe in eternity, Keith. So <laughs> he's he, he still exists. Like, oh, that's well, I know eternity is now. But I mean, his just... views could have changed now because you know he now knows knows everything. As You're he's right. known, right? It, he's got that absolute truth. But see, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, if he was an open theist, I don't remember hearing anything like that. I, I don't know. I, 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 I could I, be talking. I, um. I have open theism on my mind because during the whole uh, Bethel yeah. conversation, 
and why God heals sometimes, apparently, and sometimes not. I I really I know you guys have had Mark Harris on. Oh yeah, and Thomas Thomas I was gonna say Thomas J Ord also. Yeah, we've had both we've had both them on too. Okay. So our podcast good. is just as good. So obviously, yes, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I really identify with. Oh, you can touch it again. Oh, no? I can. Can uh, you read the read the one? Double exclamation! Thank you. Yeah. Emphasis. <laughs> can you tell that we drink? Um, but. <laughs> But I really identify with, or I'm really enjoying exploring the open theist yeah. mode, which is, what does it say about God if he wants to heal everybody, but he chooses not to? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the implications of that, if you follow that logic out, are, um, I don't know, they're bit, it's big and robust, and you know, what if God doesn't have the control that we want him to, because right. we do want him to heal uh, unilaterally, but anyways, that's a side note. Yeah, no, but it, I, I'm glad. Yeah, we and we don't have to chase that rabbit again. But uh, I think um, that whole conversation we were having a minute ago about just the, the suffering thing is um, it's a tough one, and I would rather lean lean more in the direction of Thomas J. Ord and Mark Harris's like God can't uh, idea, the uncontrolling love of God. Mm-hmm. I still see problems with that view. I'm not a hundred percent on that view. Um, but of the two of those are my two options, like God allows suffering and, you know, he uses it to whatever, or, um, God's love and he doesn't control those things. And, um, God doesn't allow anything like we, if there's good if, or there's suffering, like, well, we have to sort of be responsible for the good and the bad that we do. Most of the suffering is man-made. Yeah, uh, or, because God is love and love can't control. Yeah, yeah. It literally, it's not, it's against its nature. Yeah, so I, I at least lean, I, I'm, I at least I, I'm more comfortable with that idea, the, the Thomas J. Ward idea. Um, but like I said, I'm still not 100% on it. I, I guess because I don't think there's a formula. I don't think there's a particular, like, this is it. We've, we've cracked the, 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 the code, right? Uh, I don't know that there's a formula for it. it, it anytime you're describing God, you're by definition yeah. not describing God. Yeah, it's sort of like... Um, Draw me a picture of the unimaginable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, hold on a second. We like to call this segment. Gosh darn it. Good job, Jeff. Shut up, Scott. All right, okay. continue. <laughs> You're preemptively <laughs> shutting him up. <laughs> but now speak, He just Scott. took a breath. He was getting ready to say something. Yeah, I, I just... Um, I find problems with the the idea that God doesn't do anything. Um, the... To, for me to think that that's a loving God, for, that God doesn't do anything, doesn't interact with the world. Um, wow. You are so serious right now, the way you're talking. Like, yeah. You are dead serious in your point. I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. I, I can tell. Um, well, well, just to... Also, to, your eyes are black. Yeah, to, to throw, out, to throw out, <laughs> out the word love and say, well, this is what love is. Yeah. And, 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 but what love is is nothing. Um, yeah. That God doesn't do anything. That to me, that's odd. Yeah. That to me, that raises a lot more problems um, because Jesus, like, like when you get to Jesus, what do you do? Yeah, he did a lot of stuff. Jesus yeah. did a lot of things. He yeah. healed people. Yeah. Um, so I, I you know, no, see, and you, that's I a agree. Good, that's a great point because actually, again, like I said, I, I have issues. I love Tom, by the way. Tom, when I lived in Idaho, Tom lives in Idaho too, in Boise. 
So he and I had lunch a couple times, and like I, so I got to meet him in person and hang oh, out well, with him. We're gonna get to Boise for sure. But, but um, also, Scott, but, we didn't. Nobody said God doesn't do anything. But no, in a way, he kind of does because I go because because this is one of my issues with um with, oh Tom uh, with Ord's, Tom says that. with Ord's okay. issue. Well, all right, what, Tom, I'm not gonna put words in Tom's mouth. Maybe I'll fly my him limited... out and you out, and you we can <laughs> have a debate <laughs> in my have, room right here. Yeah, we'll just have it out. <laughs> no, but because like so, for example, in a way. Thomas uh, and Mark Harris's position is that the you know the uncontrolling love of God. So God is love, so He doesn't do anything. So it's sort of like um, my toddler. Control. My toddler's in the street. Here comes a truck. I could stop the truck. I could um, grab the child and push it out of the way or pull it out. But no, I'm uncontrolling, so I won't do that. So the kid gets run over, and it's like, is that loving? Because right. I'm. I'm standing there in the real world, not as a metaphor, but I'm actually standing there. And my actual kid is in the actual road and actual truck is coming. I'm going to do something. Right. And so I, I think that's your point, right? Like if I'm really a loving father, wouldn't I do something? Well, like, whole, I don't understand. The whole Bible from beginning to end is God doing something, <laughs> <Yeah>. interacting <laughs> with the world. He's doing stuff. Um, yeah. Lots of stuff. So to say that God doesn't interact with the world and to somehow, elevate that as the form of love is but at the same time but at the same time so to flip the other way though what i do what i do at least see in thomas's position is the question like why does god allow blank so if you make a list let's let's just make a list of what are the things god allows rape genocide murder torture i mean let's just go down the list pretty much everything that's currently happening in the world and has always happened in the world is what God allows because it keeps happening. So God allows everything. And that's what I observe. I see God allowing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so what do I do with that? And I think that's what Thomas is trying to answer is that it isn't that God's allowing those horrible things to happen. Um, it's that God is not controlling. Therefore, God doesn't like you're going to murder someone and he stops your hand or you right, shoot someone I, I and think, he pushes think, the bullet off. So it I misses think you, you can right? get to God this God not allowing things, you can get to that without going to God doesn't do anything. No, no. I, <laughs> but, well, I don't think he would, ever says that God can't. I, I understand, fully understanding this is a terribly dense conversation <laughs> that is beautiful <laughs> way and, off. and I love, but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I don't think it's ever like that God doesn't do anything. I mean, they believe, believe in a God that cre- ha- creates and... Yeah, it's and, just, and what else what what, can, besides creation? What what does what can God do? I'm not going to make the this, argument now. I just know in this that view. What saying, can God do that doesn't violate this the this love definition? I think it's taking the free will thing to people. God actually can't control people, and if that is true, if if love cannot control and coerce, but why then, control though? This is what I'm what I'm. What I'm, what I'm getting at, if God can prophesy about things, if he can have a will, um, uh, that to, to, to use My, control, he, these he are still, great questions, Scott. He can still bring nations against other nations to judge them. He can still uh, kill people for their disobedience. Um, he could send Jesus... Well, can he impregnate hold on, Mary? Hold on, you're, <laughs> there are like you're mentioning about. Okay, so that's obviously from a fairly little. Let's just go with impregnate Mary. Impregnate Mary. Um, <laughs> Let's go with an easy one. Yeah, the incarnation. So it's easy. Yeah, an easy one. Bitch, <laughs> bitch is figurative. Your mom's a delight. 
I, uh, I didn't hear that last part. No. Yeah, you can. Yeah. No, really? I'll repeat it. Hey, uh, it no, happened. My... God did it. What? Uh, there is inter- there. <laughs> yeah, there is some meddling in all, all these the passages. Have a lot of potentiality for juicy interpretation options. <laughs> well, does it? So I think you if need I to understand... work on your board I'm skills. Dying, no. <laughs> Jeff keeps sucks. hitting the board, and it's not working. He needs bigger Jeff's letters. Yeah. So I think the way, I think what Tom says, and again, I'm not 100 percent with it, but I but I think what he would say. Is not that God, you're right. He doesn't say God does nothing, but um, the actions. So, so in other words, so what he would, what he would affirm and I would affirm is that bad, you know, shit happens. And so it's going to happen. And so when it happens, God is committed to um, turning that around to our good. He, God, God is committed to, to cre- pulling good out of evil, out of bad circumstances, right? If it's, if possible, in God whatever way possible. At work. Yes, he's absolutely, he's always at work, right. Um, but there are limitations, there are certain limitations to what God can and can't do. And some of, sometimes it, it's aligned with our will. In other words, if our will is aligned with God's perfect will, then those sort of things that God wants, God's desire is to do them. Um, but it's only, it only is accomplished when our will and his are aligned. Now, and that's fine. For me and my ears, it sounds a little bit like paraphrasing or just rephrasing the Bethel thing a little bit. So well, instead of saying, to, doesn't it? Like you have well, enough, do you have enough faith? But before or do you have get, enough will, your wills aligned? There, before we get to that and how yeah. people can distort scripture and things yeah. like that, what about Matthew ten eight? He sends He sends them out. To heal, they go out and they heal. But he said, so "Hold those on, guys. we're in the second guys. section. Know, we're still, in the second section of it's Scott. Still, shut up, Scott. Seriously, <laughs> shut the hell up." No, it's still. It, we're still getting at whether or not God does something. Mm-hmm. And my, this is just my point. Before we get to Bethel, forget about Bethel. I don't care about Bethel. Literally, I don't care about Bethel. Yeah. Uh, oh, we believed you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't have to convince him. <laughs> uh, but if he, if Jesus sends them out to heal. This is and, and they go out and heal. This is, I mean, this these are this is an example of God doing these things. Right. So to say that God can't do them um, or doesn't do them as somehow it would violate love, that just goes to me. That goes against clear teaching of Scripture. Yeah. So when we get to okay, how do we apply that to our lives today? That's a, another. That's a separate question. But if we can't even, but if we don't even have. <laughs> the starting point of what scripture tells us, well, then you can go believe whatever you want, whatever your yeah. experience tells you. Yeah. I know, what Scott, does it it's fun. You should, you should try it sometime. <laughs> you should have Tom back on and have him answer these questions. <laughs> well, I think, Scott, were you here? Did you miss Tom's? I, I think I miss. Uh, I, I miss Mark Harris's. I miss Karis's, yeah. Yeah. You might have been here That for one Tom's. would have upset me probably very much. Yeah. Well, I and I think, uh, I, know, I, I, know Tom, I know they're both working on new stuff, so I, I'm positive that I will reach out and try to uh, promote whatever they're doing and talk to them again. But I, yeah, the my point was like the do, God doesn't do anything, is not the message. It's God can't control in the way that we would want or expect control so i would just ask what does god do so uh that's a that's a great question and tom's book love can't god Uh, can't god god can't well god has loved me okay sorry yeah sorry can you forgive me can you give me grace (laughs) blasph of me of the holy spirit (laughs) Uh, but yes uh it that one's a good book 
And it's written for people like us. Yeah, stop telling me what God can't do. Tell me what God can do. Well, he gets into that. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Anyways, but let's, uh, let's, I'm sure we'll touch on what God can or can't do or does or doesn't do as we um, delve more into Keith and uh, what the hell he's here to (laughs) What the hell? Zach, thank you. Wow, you're getting better, (laughs) Jeff. Uh, My meds meds have kicked in. (laughs) (laughs) My Memphis. My Memphis. <laughs> What's this called? An old fashioned old that you made me? Yeah. Uh, made old fashions for the first time tonight. And they were good. Yeah. Oh, Scott sucked his down. And, oh, Keith. And it was I'm good. sipping mine. I'm just Ooh. taking it easier. We might no, have to good. pause. No, we're, <laughs> not pa- we're not pausing, but I'll go down and make a couple more. But Jesus Undefeated, mm-hmm. um, you've got this, it's almost like a brand, the Jesus brand. Yep. Jesus Un brand. Jesus Un. Yeah. So what's... Spoiler alert! Yeah, flash, flashing forward. Mm-hmm. What's next? What's the next Jesus on? Okay. Well, thanks for asking. I have planned them out. Um, so uh, in 2020, if all goes according to plan, I plan, I plan to publish three books in 2020. So, wow. um, but only Dude. one of them in the Jesus on series. So basically, a year from now, I'm going to put out uh, Jesus Unexpected, which will be about uh, the end times kind of hype, you know, in t- uh, dispensationalism and all that kind of stuff. Um, You're but, speaking Scott's language. Oh, that's going to be, that was the one I was going to put out this year, but instead my publisher convinced me to do the one in hell. So I postponed it. So it'll be out next year. Um, that's choir publishing. Choir, my yeah, Ralph Palindo. And then, talked to Ralph before. We love him. Um, so my goal is uh, like, hopefully by March of 2020, I'm going to put out a book uh, called Square One, which is, that goes along with this 90 day course I've been doing uh, with people to kind of help people who are going through deconstructing their faith. And what I noticed was there was, I couldn't find anything helping people reconstruct their faith. Um, uh, tons of stuff like podcasts, blogs, books, all kinds of stuff about deconstructing faith, but nothing like helping people to reconstruct their faith. So I, I'm doing this 90 Which day course. Which often kind of happens, like deconstruction and reconstruction sounds like two separate things, mm-hmm. but more often it's like you're doing both at the same time. I feel like I did that, but what I've found out is that a lot of people get stuck in deconstruction. They kind of get in this loop um, of being sort of critical and negative, and they can't break out of that loop. And so that's one thing we address in the, in the square one uh, class is how to, first of all, recognize if we're doing that and then how to break out of that sort of detoxing from our detox process. Is there anything online or to pe- for people to look yeah, up Zach, or is that in the sign future? Up, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm asking. Stuck in the loop. I'm not asking yeah. for you or for the listener. It's for me. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, there's a website. It's, uh, so I called the course square one and the website is back to square one, but it's, it's abbreviated. So it's BK, the number two SQ and the number one.com BK two SQ1.com. And, um, starts the, so we've, we're is wrapping that, up your bank password as well. Yes. Okay, it's also my pin nice. number. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, uh, we a question mark at the end because you need a <laughs> you need a, a symbol, yeah, an asterisk or something. Um, Sorry. So we're wrapping up. Uh, the ninety day class actually wraps up this week. So the very final week is this week, um, and so the round two of that we're starting it over again in January. So January thirteenth, it'll kick off. Round two will kick off again, and we'll do another ninety day class. So, but I'm going to write a book um, just to kind of go along with that, and there'll be a workbook as well. If someone wants to just buy the book and get the workbook, and then they can work through it on their own if they want. Um, so that'll be the, that's, that's the first book that nice. will be coming out next year. Which is, I like that idea. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I got to say, it really was 
you know, I want to, I don't want to say like God told me, but in a way it was kind of like a, a an inspiration thing because I was going to do these online cl- classes. I, right, I got I'm the idea. <laughs> I got the idea to do like <laughs> to do some online classes, and I was like, um, and I'm already done some of them. Like I was going to do one like called Authors Academy that was like teaching Christian authors how to like write and promote their books and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and uh, that was the first one I was going to do, but um, but as I was going through the process of like thinking about what the course should be. I was actually taking a course that someone was trying to help people who want to do online courses and like how to come up with something. So they were, she was asking you like, ask yourself these questions. What's something that people come to you and ask you all the time. So in other words, you're people see you as like, you're, you're someone who can help with this problem. You can solve this problem. And yet people ask you all the time. And, and as far as you can tell, no one else is doing something, offering something that answers this question or solves this problem. And so she's having me do the inventory and I'm at, and I'm walking through it. What emerged was this reconstruction piece, the deconstruction reconstruct, like, cause I literally several times a week, I'm answering emails. I'm getting, I get on hour long phone calls with people. Hmm. I don't know these people. Like, Keith, can you talk to me? I don't know what to do. Like I'm deconstructing this and I have a question about that and I don't know what to do, wow. blah, blah, blah. And I'll, you know, and so I, I'm trying to solve the problem one person at a time and that doesn't work. I mean, it helps right. that person, yeah. but I'm not, but there's so many other people I can't touch. Right. So that's, that's when I realized like, wow, I think I feel like I need to offer this 90 day course. I kind of sat down and mapped it out step by step. What are this? Like there's 13 sessions and what will we talk about? So there's a, uh, there's a, like a one hour video lecture each week. And then there's a one hour at the end of the week, there's a one hour zoom conference call with everybody where we all kind of talk oh, about nice. it and, how are we doing? How are we processing? Is it working? Is it not working? What are you struggling with? And then there's also a private Facebook group as well, um, where they can all kind of talk to each other and share stuff. And it's been amazing. Look at this. You're quietly doing a Bible study. Nobody knows it. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, We're doing a home group, I guess. Yeah. Doing church. Right. It's a, well, yeah, I guess you can call it that. But, it, you know, so addressing things like, the, like I talked about, people being in the loop, right? Having to having to break out of that loop, detoxing from your detox. Um, some of the other things we talk about are like um, rewiring our brains, uh, forgiveness. How do you forgive? The, because here's here's what I realized: when people deconstruct their faith, uh, almost a hundred percent of the time. I mean, I it's very rare, unless you're in the closet. Some people, because they if they're they haven't told their friends and family that they're deconstructing their faith, they're quietly deconstructing and questioning their faith. And here's why they, if they do it quietly, here's why they do it quietly. Because they know that this is true. If you make it public, if you tell people around you that you're questioning your faith, you're gonna lose three things. You're gonna lose friends, you're gonna lose fellowship, and some for some people, you're gonna lose family. Alliteration. I so regret this whole conversation. Wow, Jeff, that was. I mean, Scott. <laughs> Scott, how dare you? Wow. Jeez. Oh, um, so, so I appreciate the alliteration. Yeah, the friends, family, and fellowship. No, it, it's the truth, though, and so that's very, very painful. Not only are you questioning your faith and your your theology and all this stuff is in flux, and that's painful in itself. But at the same time, you're losing all your support structures and people around you that can help you as you're going through that, and so it's even more painful, even more difficult. So we deal with that. How do you deal with that? How do you forgive people who have hurt you in that process so that you can move on? Um, and all those kinds of things. And how to find new communities because if you've lost community, uh, you have to, if you walked away from your church fellowship uh, or you've been kicked out of it, uh, how do you find new connections that are life-giving, that are positive, right? Um, and then for a lot of Christians uh, who've deconstructed, 
they've stopped doing a lot of things. So I don't do this. I don't go to men's Bible study anymore. I don't go to church anymore. I don't go to this anymore. I don't go to that anymore. So you, great. Maybe you've done that because that's too painful or you got kicked out of that or whatever, but you, what you've left. Men's Bible study sucks or something like that. Or maybe it's just a bad Bible study. But at any rate, what you're left with is like a whole lot of, you're not doing, but what have you replaced it with? Like you have not put some positive practices. So we've started develop, developing new positive spiritual faith practices that are actually good for you, that are actually life for you, that are actually uh, helping you grow, right, in your spiritual life. Yeah, you're you're throwing out all your furniture in your living room, but yes. are you just going to like sit on the floor or yeah. sit on an apple crate or something? <laughs> right. Are you going to get a good uh, goddamn couch or something? Right. You know? Well, see, that's the thing. Deconstruction is tearing this whole thing down, and at some point you have to find a place to build back up again, right? You've got to find something to... Uh, fill the house back up again, right? Or rebuild the house or something, right? You can't just be left with this big pile of rubble. It's super, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm very interested in it uh, because I think oftentimes deconstruction became kind of a hip thing. Yeah. I think, or it was perceived as like, everybody's doing it. Yeah. And so there's like a natural rejection against like, oh, come on. But one, I think the environment in church generally especially with online church stuff is where people feel more safe to, to process, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's, there's the second half, the, the reconstruct part, like doesn't mean you reconstruct the same thing or, or a version of the same thing. Maybe it's something that's different, but you don't have to throw baby Jesus out with the bath. Yeah. Doubt water, the doubt, doubt bath water. That was a dyslexic moment. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, that's exactly right. Like, on the one hand, uh, when I first did Square One, I don't, I don't, didn't know who was going to come in the class, right? So I don't know if I'm. Some people deconstruct completely out of the faith. They're like, I'm an atheist. There's no God. There's no Jesus, right? And right. Maybe, maybe I'm going to get those people. Some people have just started deconstructing, so they've only started with maybe I don't want the Bible. I don't know about you know whatever some other hell or something. Um, I've identified like six pillars. Which we'll get to, Scott. Scott's like shaking. He he wants. <laughs> we to will. Get I to promise. We're gonna get to that. No, this is good stuff. So um. So anyway, so when I went into the thing, I didn't know what I'm gonna deal with. So and just in general, I don't want to tell people what to believe. I'm not gonna try and here's what you should do. Like I don't want to do that. But I want to give people tools and resources. So like wherever they are at, they at least have something that they can choose well, okay, I'm going to build on this or I'm going to go in this direction or whatever, but I want to to help them wherever they're at, right? Without telling them what to do or believe. But for me personally, and I'm pretty open about this at the beginning of the class with everybody, like, again, please don't follow me. Don't do it because Keith says it, but I'm just saying where I'm at is I've deconstructed to the place where my, my foundation, my bedrock, the thing I can't question is Jesus, right? So um, for me, that's the thing that I start with and that everything I'm going to reconstruct is going to be built on that foundation. So, um, but, but I don't want to assume that everybody in the course is going to have that same, they're going to, some people may be right. so far, at least with round one, um, everyone is very comfortable with that. Like, yeah, Jesus, that's it. Um, but that, you know, it could still be in the future. I could end up with but somebody. But as somebody who's writing Jesus un yeah. over and over again, you realize what Jesus is to people uh, deserves some attention and can mean different things. Yeah. Yeah. And that has to be defined. Yeah. We do right. that in the beginning. There's like two whole sessions, like session three and four on basically, uh, rediscovering Jesus. Um, you know, kind of going back to that as our foundation. So, and I, I, I just appreciate the showing people that, that 
there's there's something more like wherever you're at in your faith because a lot of times you feel super alone when mm-hmm. you're deconstructing you feel like nobody feels this way i'm alone and you're not like you're joining in a tradition of questioning and wrestling with the ultimate truth of what's going on right and you're not alone and you never have been so mm-hmm. somebody like you with square one uh or back to square one yeah, uh, the, well, BK two BK SQ. two SQ one. Oh, uh, one. Okay. Oh, I wrote down. back two square one. So it's BK one in there. Two SQ and the number one, okay. number two, number one. Dot com. All right. And uh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, man. It's I've, I've, it's been so great. It's actually one of the best things. I, uh, just seeing these people connect and get it, and you know, having them give me feedback like, wow, this is really helping them. Like, good. So that's it's been really great. Awesome. Well, let's Jesus, let's Jesus jump. Let's, <laughs> let's jump Jesus. into Jesus, the Jesus Undefeated series. Uh, Jesus Undefeated. What was when did you when did you know you were going to write this one, coming off your other ones? Like it sounds like you had this roadmap. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's up with hell? What's, what's up with hell? You know. Well, um, so I published. I'm going to go make old fashions for you guys. Oh, thank you. Hmm. Don't let, stop. Let me finish this. Mm, seriously one of the best old fashions I've ever had make me one just like that please okay oh, thank you oh, just hold on he needs one too so am I supposed to keep talking while you leave the room get, yeah, get, yeah. get okay. Jeff some apple juice for his, uh, his bladder just, mm. just project I'll hear it okay it's I'll fine. just shout I'll hear Scott more often I just pounded half of an old fashioned I don't think <laughs> this that's is gonna healthy. get really good here <laughs> <laughs> I really on I, I, wow I really am on my meds now <laughs> yeah so oh so the question was when did I know I was gonna write that book so uh, Jesus Unveiled, my house church book, uh, published like in July, I think. And like I said, my original plan was I was going to jump from that to the dispensational uh, end times book. And uh, that's already outlined and mapped mm-hmm. out, and I was ready to go with that. So it was probably like around June or July when Unveiled was coming out. Um, Ralph Palendo, who's a publisher at Choir, um, came back to me. So he, I say he came back to me because he had already come to me a year before that. And tried to talk me into doing this book on hell. Right. And and a year before that, I just said no. I said, you know, there's other people that I think are that's their wheelhouse more than mine. Um, although I definitely have views on this topic, but again, I had already mapped out the next two years of what my book ser- series is going to be, and uh, that wasn't in the that wasn't in the mix. But when he called me, when he came back to me now the second time and brought it up again, um, he called me actually. We're on the phone. And he told me again, Keith, I really think you need to write this. I think it's an important topic that people are really interested in that, you know, you can help people understand this and blah, blah, blah. And so I... You're talking about Jesus Undefeated. This book, Undefeated About Hell, right? Right. The topic of hell. Right. And so um, after that conversation, he convinced me enough to say maybe. So I sat down and I wrote out an outline. Like if I was going to write this book, and I wasn't sure yet I was going to. I was like, okay, well, you got me thinking about it. Okay, so if I was going to write this book, so okay, the, I want to. I would start off talking about that, and then I'd have to mention this, and I kind of like just started le- outlining. You it. had the bones of yeah, what, yeah. what it would look like. Yeah, and so after I found it, kind of like put all that out, and I basically had the whole book outlined, and I'm looking at the outline, and I'm going, not only can I write this book, I thought, you know, I really want to write this book. I, you know, let, let's do this. God spoke to you. Yeah, I guess so, uh, <laughs> or at least my publisher did. And and I got to say, he was right. Yeah. I mean, so since the book has come out, 
the feedback has been phenomenal. Uh, we've gotten so many great, so so much great feedback from people. And you know, it, so my book released uh, right on the heels of David Bentley Hart's book um, uh, that all shall be saved, right? Um, on the same topic, and um, and and at first I was uh, when I found that out, I was kind of like, oh, I'm Bummed dead, out. I'm dead, right. yeah, because come on, he's going to nuke me, right? It's David Bentley Hart, uh, who I love, um, but I but I, having read his book. Which again, I love. Um, he is so scholarly, right? He's he's using words most I didn't even know were English words, right? And um, he's super. It's it's really more from the philosophical um, side of things, and and very very deeply theological, and and um, uh, also with a little bit of snark, which I love about him. And um, but my book is opposite of that right so my book is very much it can you put in one phrase that would sum up your book because now yeah. you've got like there's obviously something contrarying yeah. about compare you know relatively speaking compared to his book yeah can you in, in yeah, one I think, phrase i think so i think my book is more of like explaining the doctrines and i say plural doctrines of hell for the common man because uh, i'm i'm writing and I, all my books, I think, are like this, where I'm trying to take concepts that might be confusing for people, theological concepts, and just bringing it down so the average person can understand it. I just want them to have the information to know these things. And so what I think are really important things that they don't know. My, most people, when I talk to them about this topic of hell, they don't know it. Like, they're like, they're shocked. Like, what? And so I uh, just want to give them some that information that they don't have, give them some things to think about, um... But not bog them down in the, all the scholarly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not deep, super deep rooted, stuff. Right. Yeah. And, so, and if they want to go figure it out and dig right. more, then they can. And and those books are out there, obviously. Right. Yeah, so if someone started with my book, and, it, and mine's a real simple, basic, easy to understand. Let's look at... There, there's three basic views of hell. There's annihilation. There's eternal torment, which most of us are very, very familiar with. And then there's the, the uh, universal reconciliation view. So I just outline... First, I say there are three views. Historically, there have always been three views for the first 500 years of church history. From the beginning, there's been three views. Um, the majority view for the first 500 years was eternal, universal reconciliation. Um, and anyway, so I laid those things out, and and then I break down each one. So what are the verses that support the view of eternal torment? We're going to take like the, the top six or whatever, eight verses, one at a time. We're going to read through each one and look at them. What does it really say? Annihilation. What are the verses that support annihilation view? One at a time, look at them. What are they really saying? And then the same thing with universal reconciliation. What are these verses that support that view? And what are they saying? And and then at the end, I want people... To, I mean, I have a bias. If you didn't know, I have a bias. The subtitle is uh, Condemning the False Doctrine of Eternal Torment. So I have a, I have a bias. So you don't think people are hanging out in hell getting <laughs> no, burned forever and not ever? Not forever. So now that's the other thing we have to talk about is like, so what, what is happening, right? But not not eternally. Oh, yeah, not... Not without end. What's the word? It's not eternal. It's um, Aeonios is the Greek no, word. No, right? it's a, infinite. Oh, thank you. Well, that's kind of the same. Yeah, I mean, thank in the, in the English, we kind of use those words the, the same. You sure this is mine? Did uh, you give me back mine? Eternal. Well, if you were talking, yeah, but if you were talking eternal and infinite, I mean, just on the words, I mean. Like God is infinite and eternal, but we we are not infinite and eternal. Yeah. Well, that's one of the premises. That's one of the arguments. So, like, if you were an annihilationist, you would argue that there's plenty of scriptures, and I I show this in the book. Um, if you're an annihilationist, which I was for about 
eight months. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. We're eternal, but not infinite. God is. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but there's verses that say that only God. Eight months. Why eight months? Oh, I'm just, I'm joking. It was, okay. it was I was, I, I went from eternal torment uh, and I, then I rejected that view. And then I, so I kind of gravitated to annihilation, but for a short time I, I held that view. Yeah. I don't know exactly how long. Um, but then, then I continued to read and study more and then I kind of ended up where I am now, which is the universal reconciliation view. But, but the, to your point, um, annihilationists can point to tons of verses that say things like, if you have Christ, you have life. If you do not have Christ, you do not have life. Right. Um, God who alone dwells right in, in, in eternity. Uh, it's like all these kind of phrases that are used where like God has eternal life. God is without end. Human beings are not inherently human souls are not inherently eternal. Now, when I believed in eternal torment, I would tell people all the time, every human soul is eternal. The only question is where you'll spend it. I said that all the time, not realizing that there's not a single verse that's a, that backs up that view mm. that humans are just eternal by just being alive, by, right. by existing. Um, but I thought it was, and I said it all the time. I used to preach and I would tell people, you know, every human soul is eternal. It's only question is where you'll spend eternity in heaven or in hell. Um, but again, there's no, the verses that when you look at the verses, um, when it comes to that kind of thing, God has life. Uh, God is eternal. It, only those who in Christ have life. And if you're not, you don't. So that, that's, that's, uh, those are, those kind of scriptures are in favor of the annihilation view. Right. Now you, you said you're right now you're in the universal, universal Re- reconciliation. Yes. Um, and it's not, not annihilation. Not a light. No. In universal reconciliation, are the soul are souls um so no soul is going to be annihilated let me just stop for a moment and open up this section i want to clarify because i'm the clarifier <laughs> you guys are this is great it's been lame so far <laughs> <laughs> i've noticed that most of them are directed towards you are there any that are like you should add your own they won't let me near the board. I feel, Bros, I feel bad for man. Beer. Creating yeah. sacred space. That's Sarah Heath. Good grief. Oh, I love her. She's Did you, yeah, she's great. She's been on twice. So you, you, <laughs> okay, you're no, real quick. <laughs> hold on. I got to say, Keith, Scott, the last time Sarah was here, uh-huh. like you, she came over twice and uh, it was great. Scott did ask her out on a date the second time. Oh my gosh! I don't understand why she's single. Can be kind of honestly, like uh, she's gorgeous, she's amazing, I, and like have, and she's talked about how she I was agree. on our show. She talked about how guys are intimidated by her. Uh, I guess because she's a minister or whatever. I'm like, gosh, that sucks. Yeah, I would have gone out with her. I mean, you you it might you, not have lasted you, long, but I would have gone out. You with put her. your cards on the table, but she has standards or something. I don't know. Like, maybe God was <laughs> maybe God was speaking to her. Well, that's that's what I was getting at before I asked her. Yeah, she yeah. was talking about how she goes out with models and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay. oh well, potentiality yeah. to get juicy. <laughs> All right, Jeff's answer. Anyway, you were form. saying something about annihilation. Um, you were asking me a question. Yeah. About so it. in the universal reconciliation, if this if so, no souls are annihilated. Uh-huh. Um. Is is that the is that the same view that the ECT folks have of the soul that all souls are eternal? Um, ECT is eternal conscious torment. Yeah, thank you. Was that established? No, we didn't. We didn't use the acronym. But right? we, know, we know what he's talking. Um, yeah, but there's so many people that aren't as smart as us <laughs> that are listening to this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, um, so it's interesting, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. So I think eternal torment, 
and it can I kind of because I've had I've held all three views at different points in my life. So when I believed eternal torment, I believed that the human soul in itself contained um, the quality of eternity, right? Of, of living forever, right? Being unending. Um, in the universal reconciliation, my um, understanding is that um, every human soul is still kept alive in Christ. That the point is that we're all in Christ. Okay, so they're eternal, but in the universe... Because they're in Christ. It's because... They're in Christ, and they'll get to Christ. Those that die without, outside of Christ will get to Christ eventually. Well, that, technically, there is no one outside of Christ. <laughs> With this, that's, okay, that's, well, well, that, well, that's that, a whole other conversation. Yeah, we'll, that, we'll get there later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. In yeah. hour five. Hopefully yeah. not too much later. <laughs> we have wasted so much time. Because that's a big question, but yeah. But, yeah but, you know, honestly, get, though, we, can get we, back, we can get back to the book. We, we talked so much about stuff besides <laughs> this book, and it was all good, though. It was all it, good. It's the way it That's went. fine. That's yeah, fine. It's fine. Well, thank you, Keith. Yeah. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, look, I got two really good old, old fashions out of it. Yeah. So thank you. All right, Scott. What do you got? Um, the um, I old, love this as a teacher. I love. I mean, Scott's got Keith's book <laughs> with, a red, with a red, with a red, a red pen, a red pen. Uh, it's, it's, I'm it, nervous. The red now. is not the color mm. that I wanted. It's just the pen that I had. I'm nervous now because he's like got no, my it, book open. He's gonna. Oh, it's on page seventeen. You so it's the uh, it's the picture I sent you about yeah. uh, how what all three views have in common. I can pull that up. It's a good starter. Um, um, yeah, but it's also a good starter. We're I, an hour into this. <laughs> That's oh. a good starter. Oh yeah. Okay, so I, I got but, it. But yeah, go ahead, Keith. Did you mention the debate? I went down to make old fashions. No, I did not mention. You the had debate. a debate coming up yeah. on eternal hell. Yep. With a guy. It was scheduled. Yep. And it, supposed it, fell to through. it fell through. Um, he couldn't make it. I mean, he had a legit, I assume, a legitimate uh, Did issue. you have a venue? No, no it was going to be online. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. going to be, we're going to record it like on Zoom, like a video thing. And um, and it's actually okay that it didn't happen because uh, he wanted to postpone it to the next day. I couldn't do it the next day. But in that little window, I sort of kind of reevaluated if he was really the guy that I want, I wanted to have this debate with. I don't think he's the exact kind of person that I want. And nothing bad about him. I just mean he's, I'm looking for a true believer. I want someone who believes to their core that the scriptures teach eternal torment. And that's who I want to debate. Well, to your left is, is there, that person. Come on. We, we should do it. Bring it. Wow, well, is this when, a formal when would, invitation? When would, when would this be? You and I could decide whenever uh, you I want would, to do it. I mean... I would need a few months at least. That's me too. We would have prepare. podiums, we confetti. Prepare. We'll prepare. Oh my mm. God. We, we would have it. It'd be but our first live had, show. You have an advantage because you've read my book. So you kind of already know how I'm going to answer well, some Keith, of Keith, I haven't questions. written anything. Okay, I get it. All and right. plus, no, Scott no, I mean, has read the Bible, so <laughs> you're done. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, he's read the Bible. <laughs> and he knows Damn the it. Bible. <laughs> and you don't. And I, uh, I'll think about it. I think that would be fun. I would do it. It would be fun. I would learn I would learn a lot. And I'm sure I would too. Both before and during the debate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every time I've done some, I've not done a lot, but debates are good because it does sharpen you of like, okay, how, if someone oh asks me. I'm I like, love this so much. Let's do it. All right, three years Put from now. Put your gloves on, man. <laughs> Coming in 2022. No, I had told Zach. The debate uh, of the century. I think before before we got this, I told Zach I wanted to start like studying. Hell. Uh, hell. Um, you know, as one does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, like I wrote a book about it. I mean, you know. Yeah. No, you did though, and uh, that would be. Oh, 
That'd be very, I'm very interested. Color I would me love to, yeah. interested. I would love to do it, actually. Because again, what we talked about before we turned the mics on, right? Like debates are not arguments. We're not right. going to shout and scream at each other. We'll it's not up, personal. We're going to end up debating probably right here in the next five minutes. And that's fine. And that's totally cool. <laughs> in a very passive aggressive right. way. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> also, it should be noted that Scott looked at his wrist when he said five minutes. He doesn't have a watch on. <laughs> he looked at his wrist, but no watch. Yeah. All right. You have a question. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, so from the book, the, the, Jesus undefeated. Yeah, you you list the three views, and then and then you on page thirty nine you sum up um, the all three views of hell agree that uh-huh. those who die without Christ will suffer in the afterlife. Yes, hell involves God's judgment of sin. God's judgment will involve some form of fire. Yes, and the fire of hell will not be a pleasant experience. Yes. I, b- I believe I'm saying that accurately. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think... I hope so. You wrote it. As, I'm, as I understand the three views, <laughs> and maybe I misunderstand them, those, are, those, those statements... I'm biting my nails right now. I'm worried. Those I'm worried three things you. are three things that the scriptures, uh, that all three views uh, agree on. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, Jeff, what do you think about that? <laughs> no, genuinely, I, I would not have put... I, I would not have put some of these Those three for, against, that's why I did that for annihilation or, or universal for, reconciliation or See, universal the assumption, reconciliation that's yeah. why I did that because watch because I actually had flat out someone told, say this to me I was having a conversation with a friend of mine I won't say his name um, but we were just talking and I mentioned oh I wrote this book uh, about hell three views of hell was it Brian Broderson <laughs> I don't know who that is <laughs> Um, That's what I'm trying to talk. And it's to no big tonight. deal if I mention his name. Uh, talk like tonight. Okay, yeah, keep going. Keep I did mention his name. It's nothing bad. Um, but anyway, he he and I were talking about, it and he just didn't know. So he goes. Uh, so I mentioned, you know, universal reconciliation. He goes, oh, that's the view that there's no hell. I said, no, actually, that's the opposite. But that's the assumption. People assume when you say universal reconciliation, you mean Ali 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 free, everybody gets in, right? Yay, come on in, everybody. That was my, that was what that's I thought Zach's view was when he says he's a hopeful universalist. Yeah. So universal, and, and, and that's a view as well. But universal reconciliation. Don't point at me. <laughs> Universal reconciliation, or, or uh, as I say in the book, it's also patristic universalism, meaning early church fathers, this was their, the way they understood universalism. There's a great book called Patristic Universalism. Is there? Yeah. And also oh. let the record show that Keith did point at Zach. I definitely, twice. I've, uh, been, I've been trying to tell Scott that he is straw manning me every time, but he just won't hear it. Well, Continue. Just, yeah. Just, <laughs> but, 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 correct. but see, this is the misunderstanding. So universal reconciliation, as the early church taught it, is, is that... Everyone goes through the fire. You, me, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, everyone goes through the fire. Not just bad people. So um, oh, the idea is that as after the death, everyone faces the judgment. Everyone goes through the quote-unquote fire. It's metaphorical, whatever this fire is. But the, the purpose of the fire is this process of refining and purifying everyone. And so as Paul describes it, I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians, um, where he says that, you know, uh, some will pass through the fire and the fire will reveal burn away, you know, the wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll reveal gold, silver, and precious stones. And then it says, but if everything is burned up and there's nothing good, no, it's just all wood and stubble and it all burns up, he says, yet he shall be saved, but only as those who pass through the fire. So the early church fathers embraced this idea that the fire was something that everyone passed through. Um, and and that for the purpose, so, so again, as I say in this in the book, in that section you just read, the, dif- the difference is in the three views 
Um, they all agree that if you die apart from Christ, you pass through the fire. The question is, what is the purpose and nature of that fire and how long does it last? And that's what they disagree about, right? So one view says the purpose of the fire is torture. One view says the purpose of the fire is to destroy you. And one view says the purpose of the fire is to heal you, restore you, refine you, and uh, burn away uh, anything in you that isn't of Christ. And some people that hold the annihilationist view, which is like the wages of sin is death. However, before you are totally annihilated, you may experience greater or lesser. Yes. A period of time. A a, a period of time, which has shortcomings. Yes. I mean, all these have shortcomings, but... You, I mean, Keith, you just summarized my life over the last 47 years, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of us are going through hell uh, All right, right now. So when um, the fire of hell will not be a pleasant experience. No. Well, again, I think that's a, that's the assumption, right? That it. Oh, and why they think that we would say that is um, in the passage in Hebrews um, where it talks about the Lord's discipline, right? God disciplines those that He loves, and um, that you know He compares earthly fathers that we know none, none of all of our all of us had earthly fathers who disciplined us, right? And He says that um, none of it isn't pleasant at the time. Mm. In the time, it's unpleasant. But the purpose of it is right for our good. And then he says, but even more so that our heavenly father, when he disciplines us, it's, it's to, again, um, to lead us to righteousness. So there's a, the, the view is that the purpose of that discipline isn't destruction and it's not torture, it's restoration and. Right. But, but even if it's not, the, even if torture is not the purpose, is this unpleasantness. Yeah. Um, it's not is not coming from other humans. This is an afterlife judgment, right? And God is going to do something unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be. You see how important this is, Scott. Yeah, I, God I, is well, going to do something well, to no, us. I, but it, but it, but I, it's just, not just so. But but there's a difference, right? So if you think it's unpleasant and it, the purpose is to just be unpleasant, the only the only purpose is for it to be unpleasant. Is it unpleasant? Oh, good. And let's just keep it unpleasant for a hundred billion zillion years and then mm. more unpleasantness to come. Or it's unpleasant um, and then I'm just going to snuff you out. Or it's unpleasant, but the purpose is it'll, it'll last for a little while, but then now it's gone. It's over and now you've brought in, you're brought into life, right? So those are just the three different ways of, pers- of, of looking at that. Yeah, right? I'm just trying to, Zach, I'm just trying to understand because I did have a conception of universalists as just being... Like wanting to just avoid the judgment of God completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There is a judgment. I, 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 I don't think, think anybody, I haven't read a, a good universalist book that does not address that. <laughs> well, I'm including Jesus Undefeated. <laughs> I'm including that with Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Right. Um, Excellent book. Yeah. Brian Zahn's Sinners in the Hands of yeah. the Loving God, although he wouldn't call himself a universalist. And, and Brad calls himself a hopeful universalist. Right. Even though he wrote that forward to my book, which is, I'm shocked. What's his newer one? Um, the Christ-like, uh, a, more Christ-like a more Christ-like God, God or more yeah. Christ-like way, something like that. I think a more Christ-like God, which is provocative. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I love his stuff. Yeah, you guys have had it on, ha- had him on. Yes, twice. Yes, yeah. we've had him on a couple of times. He's we don't a great have to guy. brag about it. We haven't had him on yet. More than you <laughs> have. I don't know. I guess he likes us a lot more. <laughs> All right. Well, I have I have more detailed questions. So, if Zach, 
Jeff. I mean, Scott, have at it. You're one of the bros. <laughs> I know, but I've. I mean, you I've, came prepared. You sat for 35 asked. minutes. We have and wasted said an nothing. hour and a half. Speak. We wasted an hour and a half this talking about Thomas. We're an hour and a half in. <laughs> Scott, speak. Scott always waits to the end. So bring then we it have to go on. Two Come on, hours. ask me some questions. This, I will say, I I do I, I don't want to call myself any one thing. <laughs> Because I come from a background of like I am a Republican. I'm, Republican right. means the I'm, label. I'm right. a Jesus that I'm a Jesus follower that does this. I'm a Christian that does this. I'm, Darn and, right. And so literally, you interpret everything because you interpret everything through that lens. Yeah. Like, okay, this thing happened in the world. I can't know what I should believe until I listen to Rush Limbaugh and see what he has to say about that. Like <laughs> right. literally, that was some of the stuff I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And. It sounds ridiculous, and it was, but I, that is what people do generally. When you are a partisan, whether it's religiously, spiritually, or politically, yeah. or emotionally, um, whatever you have decided your label is, you are going to like look to people that are above you and like wait to form your opinions. And just, I just want to be somebody that's yeah. No, trying I get to that. You don't want to be freely. Alex P. Keaton? That might be before your time. No, I know who that is. Yeah. You and I, we're old. We know you that. You guys are old. You guys are so old. No, but you know, I, go, I know what you're saying about, like, I, I agree with that. Like, I I sometimes cringe when someone says, like, you're a preterist. And I'm like, well, I guess kind of it's I am. because it sounds so dirty. Well, I kind of am, but I don't like the label. Like, I don't like owning the label because it because it does sort of let people, you allow people to label you. For me, yeah, yeah, you're letting yeah. someone label you yeah. and dismiss you because, oh, you're that. Mm-hmm. But they're not really listening to what it is like right. like for example like you just said until you read this book and i pointed this part out about what universalism really is christian universalism is um you had assumptions that weren't correct and so you oh you're a universalist but you don't really even understand yet what it is yet right and so sometimes we that's the problem with labels is that we, we it gives us permission to dismiss the, the the idea and it also then allows people to dismiss us if we own it if we own that also mm-hmm. Wait, okay, Scott yeah. seriously I want to hear your detailed questions please um, uh, that's a first sin- sincerely <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I was going with I was going off of a definition of universalism that Zach was giving me okay in, but in broken pieces and over a number of years and that's and okay he could have not his own sticking view. to one thing and yeah. changing his view every time we talk and well because all that sort of stuff I just want to acknowledge <laughs> Scott has allowed me to be honest with where I'm at at the time and so oftentimes it's processing and thinking and yeah. going on the fly and uh not not having like a mooring to anchor to because it's all new and fresh, and so that I think I don't blame Scott for I mean, coming out of the closet. Can be you know it can be difficult. It can be, it can be and I guess that's what I'm doing. I'm okay if I'm a Christian. It's a Christian universalist. All right, Scott. Question. Throw your first fastball. Bring or it in. Or curveball. Bring it in. Hopefully, it's not a high it, heater. Then it's you, a warm up. And he's looking for it. It's a warm up for that debate um, that's coming. Oh man! All right, he's looking for the trash can sound to to let him know that a curveball is coming or a fastball. Um, man, see, I, I wanted to talk to you outside of the podcast because then we kind of have to give a background yeah. of some of these these things. But um, one of, one of the the big ones. So page six. Uh, Jeff, can you read that? My eyes are going bad. What is it? Page sixty four. I bought glasses. Wow, like, man, are you serious? I'm getting old. I don't. I don't have to like. Uh, uh, sometimes, like in the morning, I gotta use them. 
for the magnification. You were asking. You actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Man, You're like, is it worse like, in the morning? Because it's worse for me. And then in, in like low light, it's it's getting bad, man. Getting Uh-oh. old is terrible. It well, is terrible. Nobody stop masturbating. <laughs> That's probably um. in, impossible. <laughs> Well, then you're not that old. <laughs> it's something that Jeff has clearly given up. So you're not that uh, old, Scott. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And so I apologize for this question. Is This question is the first, being the first one, is kind of in the weeds already. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it, when it talk about in... Um... <laughs> Did you just do a McDonald reference? <laughs> yeah. Say t- in, Re- in Re- spit Re- it out. In Revelation 20. When it talk about... <laughs> go. I had to go... Yeah, I had to find the reference. In Revelation 20, where it talks about the sea giving up, their, it's dead. Yeah. Right? Um, and this is this is the, the second um, second resurrection, where the what great white throne judgment. Um, and, the, and it talks about the sea giving up the dead, and you reference that this... There's, there's an, uh, an ancient mythology that there are two holding places for if people die in the actual ocean, that they're held in that holding place. Right. Um, but then you, you, you kind of use that to say how the second resurrection is where everyone is judged. Is that, is that, I mean, unless I misread that, but um, when I, when I, the, the sea yeah. here that I, that I see is not the actual sea. Um, but it's the, there's, there's a figurative use of that word seed to refer to the Gentiles. Yes. Um, so instead of, instead sometimes. of, right, sometimes, but, it, but it's also, and I think yeah. I point this out in the book and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to muddy the waters, but like you do know, and I think I talk about this in the book too, right? The, I, I quote GK Beale talking about how, um, sometimes heaven and earth and sea are used to describe, uh, the temple, Right. That 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 the temple stood for heaven, um, and earth like coming together. So sometimes, and we don't get that. So sometimes when we read in Revelation specifically, like heaven and earth will pass away, it's not saying the clouds in the sky uh, will cease to be. Mm-hmm. Right. It's saying um, that the temple will be will cease to exist. Right. So the Jewish yeah. people would have heard it and understood it that way, whereas we just we read it literally. Right. Right. And I, I do, and that's why I. I I'm not. I'm trying. I'm not reading the sea literally. Right. I, I mean, I'm using a figurative use that that refers to the Gentiles, um, because in the first resurrection, those who are in Christ, yeah, um, are judged, and this is these are those who are take part in the second resurrection. Because blessed are they who take part in the first resurrection. Right. Right. Um, and it talks about two groups of judgment or two groups of people here. Because it says, then the sea gave up their dead after the first group is judged, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I, I just, I just see a like a, a more simple, I guess, reading of the Jews being judged first, um, as Paul mentions in um, Romans two, um, five and eleven, um, five or five through eleven, uh, that. Uh, the Jews are judged first, and then the sea, the Gentiles, right? The, 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 they that those dead come from the Gentiles, and then they are judged. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, to me, this this is saying that these are the people who are dying outside of who have died outside of Christ, and they are judged, and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Right. Where so Christians, yeah, those who are in Christ, will not be thrown into the lake of fire. So maybe you're right. So, but there's to make sure I understand though, but. 
but if that's if that's the case, then Jews is code for Christians and Gentiles is code for non Christians. Well, it would be Jews that who are who didn't believe in Jesus. So they're being judged. But they would be the, called Gentiles, you think? They're, they're, no, no, they're the. Um, the I see. Okay, no, I got group. it. I got it. I yeah. got it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're so you okay? So what you're saying is that the Jews there are are Jews, right? But they're the Jews who rejected Christ, and then there's the Gentiles who rejected Christ. Right. So that's got that it. second group of people. Right. The sea gives up the dead. The Gentile. Oh, that's the Gentiles. The first right. group would be of the, right. of the Jews. And the point yeah. being. Well, I think I think Keith might. I mean, I think Keith could extrapolate a point well, from that, and I'm okay with that. And so, well, so help me track with you, because like, um, you maybe you're right on that. Um, that could be the case, but I think we still haven't answered the question of what form does that judgment take. So, so the Jews who die apart from Christ are judged, and the Gentiles who die apart from Christ are judged. But, but what happens to them? And so, I get that in that passage in Revelation 20, right? That's how we were, Revelation 20:10. Um, that's a, that whole passage there, Revelation 20 is an interesting passage because it goes through that whole story, but then it kind of starts over again. And yet all these people that I would have assumed were thrown into this lake of fire here, they're still here and they're outside the city of New Jerusalem and they're, uh, not allowed in because they're, uh, they're outside the city, right? That's where the dogs and the, whatever, the, all the, that whole phrase, right? Uh, outside, outside the city the are all those that are yeah. the, the dogs and the, the, the sinners and their moral and the, uh, the witches yeah. and sorcerers and blah, blah, blah. Um, the nations. So the nations is in the revelation is code for those that go to war against Christ. They're the ones that opposed Christ and his kingdom. And so, so, so that's, what's confusing. And I just, I think I see even say it at the beginning when I get into the revelation passages is that once you get into revelation, you're already in dicey territory because it's already a very symbolic, confusing book. Um, many, many different people have come to that book and seen many different things in it. So it's already confusing in any way. Right, and that's right. why I'm trying to tread right, carefully. Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm not trying to make excuses. So, yeah. yeah, so I'm just saying, um, so in Revelation, right, you're right, we have that picture of that, uh, it seems to be a judgment and all that in the Lake of Fire, but then it keeps going and then it's, there's, I, then I saw the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God and then, you know, Christ was the, was the center and he's the temple and there's this river of life but there's the gates that are never ever shut and growing alongside the, this river of life are trees that are, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. Of the nations. Who are the nations? The yeah. people outside the gates. And what, what happens to the people outside the gates? Well, Jesus says to them, anyone who's thirsty, come and drink freely from the water of life. It almost sounds like it's describing now. Well, and that's a great point. So here's the other and thing that that's confusing. Question. That question. To, Thank you for saying that. So here's the problem. You're welcome. Again, with Revelation. You have to just decide what the rules are. Is Revelation about something happening in the future? Okay. Then if it is, that's what, how does it end? The book ends with the New Jerusalem, a city in the, we're saying it's in the future. It's in the city in the future. And here's all the saved people are in the city, but the walls are never shut. And the nations who oppose Christ are outside the city. And Jesus is saying to those people out there in the future, all who are thirsty, come and drink freely of the water of life. So, that's either a picture of a future reality, quote unquote, heaven after the judgment, or whatever you want to call that. If you, if you see Revelation as a book about the future that is yet to happen, that's how it ends. Probably most American Christians. 
I it's kind like an, of it's an Eminem moment. I kind of don't shot. know on it to be honest. I guess I'm a preterist. Do not miss mm, your no, chance. No, but I, I think you're <laughs> describing most American Christians because it's so confusing. It they is. haven't delved into no. it like you have, and um, and Scott has, and and so they're probably not saying that. Don't leave you, me out. What the heck, you leave me out. I've been digging into this. <laughs> Oh, everybody a, knows you're in the group of Christians that just doesn't delve in. So. in he's doing a podcast, man. Of course, yeah, he's in the Try not to turn this into a a preterist question. Um, okay, <laughs> you can use a drink, <laughs> but, but it's either. But but, but yeah. my, my I could use a drink. It is like um, it's in, it's important because most people don't think of things this way, and I think what you're leading to is that there's there are other ways to look at it besides yeah. like all future yeah. all the time. I see. Cause personally for me, uh, the way I have looked at revelation 20, especially um, lately is that I do think it's about now. I don't think it's about sometime out there in the future. So do you think John, the revelator is uh, you th that's what you think he was communicating to his people then is Yes. Do you think he was talking about the future, or do you? Th well, no. Yes, he was. He about, has to have about been. his future. John that, has to have been talking about yeah, the future. Yeah, but but he says from all the way all through the Revelation, things that will quickly happen soon, immediately. Like he uses all this language, like this is happening quick, soon, very very soon. And for him, it was. It was within probably ten years of him writing this that uh, the events of AD seventy took place. Which I think most of what's happening in Revelation is a metaphorical, apocalyptic hyperbole. Uh, version of what what happened in eighty seventy, which so was now you guys are going preterist here. So no, no, that's no, no, but <laughs> just so people aren't uh, in well, eighty so, seventy. So what happened? It was a destruction uh, when Romans surrounded the city and destroyed uh, Jerusalem, which Jesus predicted would happen during the Olivet Discourse. Um, and, and I'm going to get into that much more in the other book that's coming out about the end times and okay. stuff, right? But but okay. So to your point, though. Um, be Let's, careful, because so Scott's about thing. to catch a preterist. I'm actually fine with this. No, I'm actually fine with this, because if someone says to me, Keith, I do not accept this preterist view of Revelation, I think it's about the future. I go, perfect. Yes. Preterist meaning... That it already happened. It already happened. Yes, yeah, that, that Revelation already happened in, in AD 70. But if, if you'd reject that review, and if you're a futurist, and you think, no, Keith, Revelation hasn't happened yet. This is about events that will happen in the future. Great. How does it end? In the future, you have Jesus standing in the temple... Uh, standing in the, in the center of the of New Jerusalem, he's the temple. There's no the gates are never shut. The water of uh, the river of life is flowing from the throne. There's these trees with their leaves with the healing of the nations. The, the nations, nations are outside the city, and Jesus is calling to them, "All who are thirsty, come and drink." And these and these gates will never shut. So if it's about the future, so you feel like either way, it's, it's a beautiful good picture. News. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful picture of what I believe is a, is a universal reconciliation uh, picture that he's painting. Whether it's about now. Uh, what the church's mission is today is to call to those that are outside, come and freely drink who are thirsty, right? Or if it's about the, a future event, that's post-judgment kind of a thing. Either way, they're both it's they're both beautiful pictures. So, I had this picture that uh, God is the sun, and um, S U N, and or all of the people. No, God. Uh, sorry, clarify. Yeah, you actually probably should clarify <laughs> the actual sun that heats our planet Earth, and and that the the energy and heat that it comes from. It's just all of the believers that are just you know connecting um, to Jesus, and he's just collecting mm. his people for for 
for however long this takes. I mean, yeah. if it's been 6,000 years or it's been, you know, whatever, 40,000 yeah. years, I don't know. But in the future, I, I, I don't know, like there, there's going to be, I had this weird feeling. What the heck did you put in my drink, man? <laughs> <laughs> that, that in the, there's some like, as you call it, apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, moment, um, where I'm not exactly sure things just come to a standstill for a speck of a moment. And yeah. It's uh, a blazing, uh, glorifying moment of uh, the sun. vision right now. <laughs> it's, it will not leave my brain. I, I It's like sticking there. I'm, as... I think that's beautiful, though. Honestly, as I'm writing the book, I'm, I'm having those same kind of thoughts, right? I, I'm, I'm seeing this possibility that God is better than we think he is, that there's some, he's not yet finished blowing our minds with how awesome he is, with how much mercy he has, how much love he has, right? How great and grand and amazing he is. And um, I think the more we meditate on that quality of God and character of God, that that is who he is and that is what he's intending to do, right? He's not, he's not, you know, he doesn't will that any should perish, that he promises to make all things new. Behold, I'm making all things new, right? Um, this is his, he's committed to that. And he's going to do that. Like, I believe that. I think that's what he's, that's what his intention is. That makes me think of one of the things that popped my brain when like deconstructing and reconstructing was the concept of like, okay, if, if in Adam all have died. Right. And that verse, well, there's a few verses where it's, it compares all who are dead in Adam are the same group that will be made alive in Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. When that dawned on me, it's like, oh my God, it it really was like Adam's power to destroy it is seems so much better, at least in number, than uh, more more powerful than God's ability to save. Yeah. So actually, and so can I just say? Oh yeah. Because I quote Go those ahead. two verses. I quote. I cover those uh, those two verses in uh, in the book under the reconciliation passage. So First Corinthians fifteen twenty one, for as by a man came death. That would be Adam. By a man, that's Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Which is an, one of those things like, okay, if, if you're going to take that as an equation, right? Who dies in Adam? Just a few people? Just the select few people? No, everyone it dies. It does in Adam. seem like Paul is yes. using the same group yes. in that analogy. And he does it again is in it Romans. An analogy? It's an know. analogy, no. And he does it again in Romans 5, 18 through 19. He says... Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, right? So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So he does this several times where he, he kind of gives us this, you know, there's also the other passage where he says, you know, God is a savior of all men, but especially those who believe. What does that mean? <laughs> He's a savior of all men, but especially those who believe. Like, so he uses these kind of, I always say this and I, kind of jokingly, but kind of to make the point, there would be no doctrine of universal reconciliation without the writings of Paul. Because Paul's the one who uses this kind of language and he sets up these kinds of things all the time. He uses the word, the phrases, all men. He uses these kind of analogies of the same way in, in Adam, all sinned and all inherited death in Christ, all are made alive. So do you think that, is it possible for somebody to be 
believe in universal reconciliation and have, I guess maybe the question is more difficult. Like it can a conservative and I'm, this is not meant to bring down. It's meant to just kind of describe a generally conservative Christian that sees things more literally and believes in inerrancy and infallibility. Is that an impediment to believing in universal reconciliation? Because you do have so many verses that seem to counter yeah. the universal. So claim. what? Yeah. So what I this is what I when I in the book I start off with looking at eternal torment and the scriptures that that support eternal torment because I know that's the person who's going to have the problem, right? They're going to be the person going to keep, but the Bible says, right? Jesus says, and so this is something I'm, I try to point out in, in the book. I deal with that right up front um, because here's the thing. Like what, I, I said this all the time myself when I embraced the view of eternal torment, no one speaks more about hell in the, in the, in the Bible than Jesus. I used to say that all the time. It's not true by the way, but um, it only is true if what you mean by that is that Jesus uses phrases like where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched and um, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the smoke of their torment rises forever. We're importing forever. that into our idea of hell. So here's the thing. So again, again, I point this out in the book. The old, If you're looking, if you come to the scriptures and you come to the scriptures looking for proof, scriptural proof of eternal torment, you will find nothing in the Old Testament. No scriptures at all. So God just didn't mention that for 6,000 years. Oh, it's intention from the beginning was to roast some people for eternity. That was that was the doesn't, wages. Doesn't but he the, doesn't mention it. Doesn't the uh, King James, they translate things hell in the Old Testament. They use the word hell right. when it should be um, Gehenna or Hades which was or the, Sheol. Which was the place Sheol. that everybody went. The, well, Sheol is just the grave. Place of the dead. It's where the grave are, right? Um, so it, it'd, it'd be the equivalent of this. You know, like if I'm speaking at your loved one's funeral and i said you know um right now uh he's in the flames of hell but what i meant was the grave right oh that right. would be odd why would you say they're not the same thing right it'd be super awkward but that's I what's happening you again right that's what's happening when the scriptures translate sheol which means grave into hell because our brains go to the flames and the torture part um anyway so but i want to make this point there are no old testament scriptures that that teach that those who die uh, without God, uh, the unrighteous, will suffer eternity in hell. It doesn't happen. But we have we do have the Daniel twelve two, and you mentioned in your book. So let's talk about that in a second. Condemnation. Okay. Let's talk about yeah. that in a second. Other than that one, so let's, let's but we'll come back to that one. Okay, that's oh, the only. Oh, you're changing your story. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, fair enough, because he does mention in the book. I do and mention. I, it. I just forget what the explanation yeah, was. Yeah. So, so I'll get to that in a second. That, but that, again, think of in the entire Bible, one verse that might teach that. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. So when Jesus uses those phrases where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched or there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, he's quoting the old Testament, which does not say anything about eternal torment. Mm. So if he's quoting those old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all those guys, um, when he says that and they're, and those guys are not talking about what happens to anyone after they're dead. What are they talking about? Well, I'd say that's the same thing Jesus is talking about, which again is about this prophetic apocalyptic hyperbole. In every case, um, when those phrases are used in the Old Testament, it's to warn people that that judgment is coming, um, and in the form like it's a judgment against Egypt, um, Edom, um, Babylon, or even Jerusalem. 
that these prophets speak judgment against them using those exact phrases here. So Jesus shows up and he uses those phrases. I, I believe he's using them the exact same way when he says Gehenna, the same way Isaiah does and Jeremiah does. He means the same thing they meant that they're, he, they're he's warning them of an actual destruction that's coming. Uh, invasion of our, the Romans that are going to come. They're going to surround the city. They're going to attack the city. They're going to, and your body is going to end up thrown in get the Valley of Gehenna, which is a physical place outside the walls of Jerusalem. And that's what Isaiah meant. That's what Jeremiah meant. And that's what Jesus meant. It's not about what happens to anyone after they're dead. So that's what I talk about in, in those passages. But most of those passages that I was always told, this is about eternal torment. This is about how what happens to someone after they're dead. Well, it's, I don't think it is. I, I think it's, it's quoting Old Testament passages that are not about that, and so Jesus isn't talking about that either. If we if we look at the way um, Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus um, are fulfilled, mm-hmm. and without Jesus actually coming and fulfilling them, and the New Testament writers writing about them, reading the Old Testament, it's it's a vague mm-hmm. um, blur. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, I, I I would just reserve uh, the uh, possibility that what what's you know described um, doesn't have to meet a New Testament standard of explanation, um, but as long as the New Testament writers are writing about it, but to say that just because it's not mentioned or described or detailed in the Old Testament in a similar way that some of the prophecies about Jesus are not detailed, um, that that just does not rule out the possibility. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, obviously, and again, I say this, uh, I, I, I try to be fair in the book as well, that uh, in the beginning, that this is just reality. Like if you tend to believe the eternal torment view, you do so because you hold certain scriptures and you say, well, because of these scriptures, X, Y, and Z, one, two, three, four, that's why I believe it. And, um, and then if someone quotes annihilationist scriptures or universal scriptures, you're going to go, well, no, no, but, and you're going to quote your, your, the ones you hold on to. And the same if you're annihilationist and the same if you're a universal reconciliationist. So to be fair, right, you kind of make up your mind which one you think makes more sense. And then you kind of just go, these are the scriptures I hold on to. And then these are the, this is how I respond to these other ones that, that don't agree with my view because this is, and this is why from the beginning of Christianity, historically, there have always been three views because the Bible is not crystal clear on this subject. You, all three views base their, base their belief, their doctrine, annihilation, eternal torment, or universal reconciliation. They all base them on scriptures. They all have like 10, at least 10 scriptures that they point to and say, we believe this because of these 10 scriptures. Boom, boom, boom. All of them do. And so uh, it's just, whichever of those three views you lean towards and gravitate towards, um, it's because you read scripture a certain way and you read certain scriptures and you, you feel that some have more weight than others. And you can then look at other ones and say, well, that doesn't mean that because of X, Y, Z. Right. And so I, I flat out up front say that like, look, this is just, this be fair. This is the way it's just the way it is. So yeah. you just have to decide. So for me, and maybe this isn't fair, <laughs> but for me, this is what I say. I think you can boil it down to who do you think God is? Because whichever of those three views you embrace, you're going to have to say, God is, I believe that God is a destroyer. I believe that God is a torturer. 
or I believe God is someone who restores and renews. And for me, I believe God is someone who restores and renews. I don't see God as a torturer, and I don't see God as someone who's a destroyer. So well, and, well, that's, that, why, that's why I asked my, that question before yeah. about the, whether, whatever the purpose is, God still does some, if you want to call it torture, or if you want to call it <laughs> gives unpleasantness. Right. Um, he's, he's still that thing if that is what happens to people. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what he does. So I, I, but there's I mean, a to, char- right. but to characterize agree. the ECT as, oh, that's torture, but then to go to the universal uh, reconciliation view, we got we to gotta abbreviate that. You are V. Sure, um, you are V. Uh, the Irv. Uh, <laughs> um, and to go, well, God is a restorer. Right. He's not these other things that ECT is. But in the URV view, he 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 does something similar to what ECT view is. Yeah. It's just not for as long. Yeah, but you. So would, I just it, I'm just kind of like it's where, the difference between a judgment that re- is retributive or a judgment restored. that restores. Yeah, so it, so it's there's a difference between discipline. I mean, look, as a father, right? I have two kids. So what if with my oldest son, um, when he did something wrong, I tortured him. I put him in a room and I just tortured him endlessly. But my other son, I disciplined him appropriately and then let him go. And he learned his lesson and he went on with his life. But my other son, you know, he's still in that room being tortured forever and ever. Like, those are not the same thing. Those are different things. You told one of your sons that you forgave them because you were able to torture the other son. Oh, that's even worse. Yes. Or if if you, the the son that's still locked up, you say, all you have to do is, uh, you know, accept my authority. Yeah. And he says, no, I won't do it. Right. Well, that's not, but I don't know if you're saying like, that's not the universalist view. I don't think it's sort of like a... No, I think that's I'm the ECT view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to torture you until you do something. I think it's more, I think there's still free will on the universalist view. I think that, but I think it's, uh, David Bentley Hart has a great, and I think I might quote it in the book, but in his book, uh, That All Shall Be Saved, he, he, point, he goes much more in depth on this, this idea that no truly free being... Um, when faced with absolute love, absolute acceptance, right? Because, right, we don't see God now. If, if anyone rejects God, it's because they don't know who God really is, right? They, they see through a veil darkly. They're rejecting a God that they think is a, that he's not who he really is. Like they're rejecting their, their, their misunderstanding of who God really is, who he actually is. So once that is removed, once, they can, once someone can truly see who God truly is, like this is, this is absolute love, absolute peace, absolute acceptance, everything in your soul's deepest part that you have always yearned and longed for. There it is. And you're face to face with it. No truly free, sane being would resist that. But they, and even they if do, you wanted they do to, in Revelation. But if you, even if you wanted to, how long could you resist that? A hundred years, a thousand years, 200 billion years? Eternity. Could you? Really? I mean, realistically, <laughs> I, I, that's I, my thing. Maybe, I, I don't, but there's a, so it could, it could be 10,000 years or look, a million years, I don't think the but human, it's not eternity. Therefore, think, it's re, it's restorative. Yeah. So I don't think the human soul uh, is, is eternally resisting the thing it wants and longs for most in the world. Like it doesn't, again, it doesn't make any sense. There's a difference between, I think the rub, well, one of the many rubs is, is the difference between you don't get my forgiveness until yeah. X or my arms are open to you always. And you might hate me right now because of your perspective, but my 
my arms are open always. Right. And the the best definition of that is a child that's <laughs> doesn't like you for whatever reason and is like not is just resenting you, but your your love and your forgiveness is present for them regardless. Yeah. I, I agree that God's God does have his arms stretched out to everyone. Yeah. But there but that's not the same as you are not forgiven until XYZ or I can't be in, in your presence until right. which this, these are ways some Christians are interpreting how God feels about people. Right. When I, you, you yeah. don't, you don't get God's grace until you have faith. Then it's not grace. That's wrong. Romans five, Romans five, <laughs> one and two. Therefore, then we're defining grace differently. Uh, yes, exactly. You're defining grace different than Paul. Romans five, one. Therefore, <laughs> therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. So Paul absolutely says that grace is, is we receive our introduction by faith into this grace. So these, they're not antithetical. If it's faith, it does not mean that it's not grace. Paul explicitly states that. And Jesus says, in John three sixteen, God's for the God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him or whosoever is believing in him will not perish we, eternally. Right. Will will not will not <laughs> perish. <laughs> will, will not perish, but will have ever, everlasting life. That is grace. That is grace for those who believe. And that, that's that, a, that is the outcome of so grace is this eternal life. Piggybacking on that, that's why my question about inerrancy and stuff. Yeah. That, like, can you be a universalist and be a like I guess, what is maybe a better start as we're just starting this podcast? <laughs> they started at the two-hour mark. What, what's inerrant about what I just? What, what's no, no, not no, inerrant about, about what that. I just said? But it's more can you? Because I don't believe in inerrancy uh-huh. currently. Subject to change. But I look at you, subject change. Good because I'm going to say I, no, so those, both of those are errant or errors. No, that's not what I'm well, saying. But okay, so it, new it subject, is, completely it, new subject. That's erroneous. No, it's like if if the if the Bible is like it's written there, therefore it's it's true as much as anything else in the in the Bible is true. I think you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is it possible to be? So, so I would say what I would say, and I didn't bring my, I don't have a Bible in front of me, but like anytime someone turns to Romans, let me see that. So what did you read? Romans five, what? One and two. Uh-huh. He says something very so, similar. Here's, here's, three. here's my concern about, um, anytime I'll give it back to you. Anytime someone turns to Romans, well, Paul says in Romans, blah, 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 and quote something. The, there's a huge problem with doing that with Romans because Romans, Paul uses, uh, in that book specifically, this prosopopoeia uh, argumentation. You know what Italian that is? Italian dish. Do you know what that is? Do you want to explain what that is? So you pro- have please to do. It okay, for, so prosopopoeia is. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to spell it. So uh, I used it. Sopopoeia is where it's actually a Mexican dessert, which is really awesome. You put honey in it, but that's something else. But this is prosopopoeia. How well, long do you have to cook it? That's in an definitely oven. part of the second coming. Yes. Do you have to cook it forever? Or no, just not forever. Just for a little. It only stays eternal. in the fire. It only stays in the eternal fire for a limited time <laughs> until it's until it's done. Um, no, so okay, so here's what happens. Prosopopoeia is a it's an argumentation style which Paul uses all through the Book of Romans, which is this, where you quote your opponent. You, it's a mock debate. 
So you quote this person that you want to refute and you say, so you're saying this person that you were debating would say blah, 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 blah. And then you respond and go, but, and then you correct that and refute that. And it's a, but it keeps going. It's a back and forth. And Romans is a conversation um, between Paul, the real Paul, what Paul actually wants to prove and this imaginary person that he's arguing with. And so for me, that's the problem with Romans. Anytime you go, well, Paul says here, and you read something in Romans, it's like, well, I'm not sure Paul is saying that. That might be a bigger part of Paul quoting the guy he's arguing with. And I, here's why I think that too, is that uh, near the end of Romans, uh, I think it's nine, Romans nine, Paul wraps it all up by saying that with talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, um, that God, God assigns some to wrath so that he can save all. So his, he, he ends that whole back and forth, who's in grace, who's not, who's saved, who's not, with this whole thing of like, but the point is that in the end, God's purpose is to save everyone. And so... So you're saying Romans 5, 2 is not what Paul actually believes. I would have to look at the whole, the bigger picture. Because he's going... He's, I just say in general, Romans he's starting, does that he's back starting and forth. in chapter 3 and he goes through Abraham yes. being justified by faith. Yes. That would be a whole nother conversation. I, I, right. But, but this, this <laughs> And I don't is, have my Bible in front of me, but so But this I don't is know the conclusion. Romans 5, 2 is the conclusion of Romans 3 and 4, laying out that it we're... we're that, that Abraham was justified by faith and yes. that we who have the same faith as Abraham who believed in God and was considered righteous yes that 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 those are those are the people of God that we can be we can be grafted in well he doesn't he might not use the word graft here but sure. we, we become um we're we, we, adding to the scriptures Scott? <laughs> we be, yeah, right there <laughs> right there well I would I would be yeah conflating um but that whole section is describing how Abraham is declared righteous by faith. And so mm -hmm. he says, therefore we receive our introduction by faith into this grace because that's how we receive the promises. If it's not by faith, then it's not, it's not the promise of God. It's not, it's not the grace of God. Okay. Sorry. I'm just jumping forward. Cause so, so I hear what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that there is a larger back and forth conversation in, there's a, there's a prosopopoeia uh, argumentation method that Paul is using in Romans that, for me, makes it problematic to just pull something out of Romans and say, oh, here Paul says this. Well, I just if gave you're the not aware that, yeah. of that wider conversation right, that he's right, trying but to I, make. I think, I think I'm within the I context will say of I am three, really looking five. forward to, yeah. this is a great primer for you guys' debate. I'm just going to call it uh, now. You guys have to debate this. Getting back to the book. All right, so I'm looking it for... It would be so good... It would be terrible. I would, I would get my. I would get. Well, I, would, I would get wiped the floor with. Can you no, say that? it's not about wiping the floor. It's about different perspectives, and I think that's the biggest thing. That's is the only like, point of the debate is to for people to hear two different perspectives and, and make I, up their own minds. Right? I think what's important is that it used to be. What's the guy's name? Robin Perry. Who yeah, wrote, yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's did, great. Didn't he write under a pseudonym? Yes. I think he did and originally because, originally because of the pushback. Yeah. I think we're, we've gone to, from a point of people hiding and writing under fake names to, to say, hey, there's something else going on that we've been missing that's been there from the beginning, a different uh, a way t to view what Jesus is doing that's different than the norm and, and going from faking it to mm. now people like Keith Giles has got like... He's just wearing yeah whether, universalism whether, on his sleeve. Whether I love it. Whether pro 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 popo is 
uh, whether it's pro, oh my pro, whether it's prosopia oh my or not. I mean, if you just take if you just take that verse, Dude, there are many other verses that have that similar vein. Like I just like I mentioned, wh- wherever it talks about the promises of God being being uh, given to the people of the faith, it's th- that's the same thing that those promises are always it's only always described as those who are of the faith and so i and oftentimes without having stuff written down oftentimes what is translated faith in christ is faith of christ i will show how that is mistaken right when keith gives me back the my (laughs) my book my uh i'm gonna just hang on to this then (laughs) um because because in that verse romans what something i don't know um I didn't come prepared to debate you, Scott. But that same I, verse I that says that, that faith, we're saved by the faith in Christ, and that could be translated as of, the next line is for those who believe. So I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll show so, that. Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe you, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I believe you too. Um, what? Play a button, Jeff. A good one this time. The uh, uh, oh, God, That's a terrible one. <laughs> But what do you make of um, Jesus Christ being the Savior of all people, especially those Woo! who believe? Yeah. There you go. Uh, he, God so loved the world. I, I think it's in that vein of that it, whoever comes to him, it, it's those who abide in Christ, who persevere to the end, those who will be saved. That's over and over. What's God saying? Is he found it in the Bible somewhere? You, yeah, you, you did choose, find that in the Bible. You, God always presents this choice. You. Choose life that you might live. Right. And so those that Amen. don't, like and like you said, okay. it's a father that has his arms open, yes. But unless that son returns. Right. Yeah. Now, now I don't think any of us would argue against this if the son doesn't return. Like, there, there is this... We can build in to the universalist model that it doesn't matter... That your experience doesn't matter. You you can do whatever you want. The son was in his own living hell in the prodigal story, and he did come back. Um, anyways, I think. Uh, so I finally found that. this thing I'm looking for. So it actually, um, Paul's whole thing in this whole process of prosopopia argument. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends in Romans 11. Sorry, it took me a long time to find it. Um, so, so, so here's the thing. So Paul in Romans, again, and I, it, it is a deep, deep thing. I think you can go to YouTube, and Michael Harden has an amazing Roman study where he points out the prosopopoeia, and like this voice is, the, is Paul, this voice is the, the poem Paul is arguing against. And he, he walks you through the whole thing. Anyway, but the, it wraps up at the end of Romans 11. And again, this is why, again, I'm nervous when people go, well, Paul says here in Romans, like, well... Paul did say that, but is that Paul or is that the person he's debating against? So anyway, the, the, but the whole argument, Paul wraps it up uh, at the end of Romans 11 uh, with this. And again, he's, he's talk, he's pitting the Jews against the Gentiles and God did this with the Jewish people and the whole thing about faith, like you said, and then, but the Gentiles were so mercy and blah, blah, blah. So this is how he wraps it up. Uh, for just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, that's the Jews. So these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And I think that's the whole point. That's the end of the argument that Paul is making at the end. It comes down to, 
everyone is shown mercy, not just the people that are the called and the righteous and those, the children of Abraham. And that's it. He ends it up with this. This is how he wraps up the, the entire thing at the end of the argument in Romans 11, that the whole point is whether they are in disobedience or obedience, it doesn't matter. God, in the end, God has done this so that, um, he shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And then the very next verse is, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For through him, sorry, sorry, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he ends, he says that statement that God is going to show mercy to everyone, Jews, Gentiles, believers, unbelievers. The God's entire point is to bring it down so that everyone is shown mercy whether disobedient or obedient. And then he ends it with this huge, like, how awesome is God? Oh my gosh, how high and wide and long and deep, right? How the depth of the riches of the, like, so he ends it with this exultant, ecstatic uh, praise of God. Why? Because in the end, what God is working towards, everything he's doing, everything that's happening, is to, is to show mercy to everyone. Yeah, yeah. see, I, I, I take, I take the, the beginning part and, where, oh, that it, was it, so good, Keith. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. The John 3.16 passage is all the, part, all the passages that talk about faith and believing in Jesus and binding in Jesus to the end. Yes. Those, Jesus saying, if you deny me before the Father, deny me before men, I would deny you before the Father. The, these, these passages like this yes. that temper my definition of what might what, what, what this all is. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I do have that, that God, God declares himself to all but not all are going to accept him. Not all are going to believe. And this that, life, that's right. throughout. Yes. That's throughout yes. the scripture. Um, yes. Yeah. And well, that. But that's the gospel. That's the gospel that that we preach too. Is that? Or oh, that you preach? Uh, well, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. preach. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so, used to. So I used to. So the gospel. The gospel is that no, you know what? No matter what you do in this life, um, You're strong, you, you have you have another chance in in the next life. Um, I mean, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that your sins are forgiven, and it's what the the, the church. No, the gospel, no, the, gospel the gospel is not that your sins are forgiven. Like, well, so but but let's look at <laughs> let's look at the gospel because again, oh, I, that's I, right. It's that we are bad. I talk about this in the we have to too. be bad for that's our sins. A quote of, uh, for our sins to be forgiven, we have to. There has to be a starting point of of being at enmity with God. Yes. All right. So, but but also in the book of Acts, there are like nine different evangelistic sermons preached in the book of Acts. None of them, Paul, Peter, Philip, none of them actually use any argument about eternal torment. Okay. They don't talk about eternal torment in this in their gospel. Now, Paul also, I find this fascinating. When Paul is in Athens, he's standing among idol-worshiping pagans. And the most important thing he wants them to know is that they are the children of God, that God loves them that they are in him, that he is the one in whom they live and move and have their being. This is the whole idea that everyone is in Christ. Even idol-worshiping pagans don't even know the, who's this unknown God. That's what Paul says to them. He doesn't warn them about eternal torment. He doesn't warn them about any, any kind of thing like that. So that is fascinating to me. Like, it's interesting to me that if eternal torment is such an important part, supposedly, of the gospel, where is it? Why isn't Paul talking about it? Why isn't Peter talking about it? Why is it when he has the chance to warn these auto-worshipping pagans uh, of hell, fire, and eternal torment, his word is, you're the children of God, God loves you, and he's the one in, he's the one in whom... Yeah, this unknown God you're talking about. Yeah. 
So I just, that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Like, and I get what you're saying. I totally get it. But again, as I talk about in the book, um, for me, when I look at those passages where Jesus seems to be saying, um, you know, if you believe in me, you'll have life, but if you don't, you'll perish. Like, I think it's very practical. I think, I think a big, big part of Jesus's ministry, what he's doing as the Messiah is trying to warn his people that if they continue to behave the way they're behaving, seeking a Messiah who will violently overthrow the Romans, which is what they were all about. That's what they were looking for. That's why they wanted a Messiah. Let's grab the swords, grab the torches, let's go kick some Roman ass and let's do it. And you're the guy, lead us, let's go. That's what they're looking for. And uh, Jesus, uh, he's the real Messiah that they're looking for, actually says, no, love your enemies. Do, do, think differently, metanoia. Try Because look, if you try that, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. If you go that way, you're going to be slaughtered by the Romans. You are no match for the Roman army, the greatest military, you know, on the planet at this point, at this point, right? The greatest empire, the greatest army. No one, you're not going to stand against them. Here's the only way that will lead to life. Turn the other cheek, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, go the extra mile. If you do these things subversively, the kingdom of God is going to come, the kingdom you're looking for, but it's not you as the ruler and the Romans licking your feet. It's you blessing and loving them, power under coming. And that's how you will subvert the Roman empire. And if you follow that, my Jesus saying, if you follow my teaching, that will lead you to life. But if you don't, life in this life, life in this world. And if you don't, if you follow, if you follow this other way, you are going to perish. You, and, and here's how it's going to happen. The Romans are going to surround the city. They're going to siege it. They're going to slaughter millions of you. They're going to burn that temple to the ground. Not one stone will be left upon another, and it'll be over. Game over forever. But, but yes, life, Keith Giles, <laughs> undefeated, baby. But life, Keith Giles, I, but that's, undefeated. That's life, life in this life. Oh, wait. Yes, okay. I do think that right, a lot that, of that so judgment... Then is that just... So that's so. Then is that? Thanks this, trying, and Jeff. this is what my one of the issues I, I have with so this hard. preterist type yeah, of yeah, idea yeah. is if it's it's only describing this life, uh, the hope for the next life, and what Paul talks about is our blessed hope of Jesus returning, sure. things like that. Um, that's part of the equation. So following Christ in this life, yes. The kingdom, your life in the kingdom begins right now, in this life now, before you're dead. Right. So I don't, the God, I don't right, think that there's any Christian that doesn't well, hold to that I didn't view. get that for the longest time. That, yeah. that it's not, that the gospel wasn't about something that kicked in 10 seconds after I died, and that's when I entered the kingdom. That's when I entered the presence of God. That's when I'm in the rule and reign of God. No, I, Jesus is saying, follow me now. You enter the kingdom right now. The kingdom is right now. It, it, it's, 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 it's within you. It's close enough to touch. The kingdom of God is near. That's, that was the good news, the gospel that he preached. So it was a very practical gospel. It was about life now. Yes, for those people in that time, practically escaping the slaughter of the Romans. And that, what, that's what would have happened if they had listened to him. But they didn't. They rejected that. Most of them rejected that. Some some did did embrace it. And by the way, they lived. Like we know historically, right? The, yeah. the, there were no Christians slaughtered in eighty seventy in Jerusalem when but Jerusalem then was they destroyed. Suffered persecution. They, they did heavily yes. after that. Yes, and he told them that would happen too. Yeah. But they were blessed if they died that way, versus that they died rejecting the teaching of Jesus and under like resisting the Romans in a violent way. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's man. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> that's uh, that's, that's what very I have to interesting. Right, back yeah. to the book. Anyway, no, so on page, no, but I will say page fifty-eight. The uh, we're at two. Mike, Mike falling. We're at two sixteen. You should probably land this plane. 
But what's the verse? I think Keith landed it about two I minutes ago. I think he ago. did too. And if I were going to edit this later, I'd maybe that's where it will end. That's where maybe that will end. But the how is our Father in Heaven perfect? In this way, you'll be perfect, as your Father in Heaven is perfect. There's a verse that talks about. Right. And I think it's on the heels of. Love your enemies. Love your bless enemies. Yes. Yeah. Bless those who curse you. Is this like Family Feud? There's top four answers on the board. No, no I'm giving you the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that I don't know. That's that's just so I do know that is beautiful. Your your Father in heaven is perfect because he loves his enemies. Mm-hmm. He pray, he prays for those who persecute him. He brings rain on the just and the unjust. Yeah. Which, by the way, totally contradicts what I don't Moses think the said. Father prays for those. But I, but I he get does your point. bless. He bless. You know. Yeah. Could, but that. But that. Even that passage, right, is in a direct contradiction to Moses, because Moses says in Deuteronomy that if you're righteous, God brings rain to your crops. Right. If you're unrighteous, God will dry up your crops, and and you'll be no rain. Jesus shows up and says, um, you know, he starts the whole contradiction thing. Right. You've heard it said. Moses said, "An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth." I say, "Love your enemies, bless those who curse you." Um, you've heard it said, you know, uh, whatever he said, the whole thing, like when he says, um, be perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek. If you do this, you'll be like your heavenly father who brings rain on the just and the unjust. Right. So he's saying, because God is loving of both the righteous and the unrighteous, if you do what he does, you'll be like him, right. By loving even those who curse you. So this, this is a great primer. Scott, I really think you guys should debate. I think you should accept Keith's official invitation, I'll throw which down is the happening now. Right there, Bill. Is it officially invited? I would, yes. If you want to, I would love to. Scott I don't put pressure to. I, I want to. I, I don't think I am the like learned months. the learned enough to uh, to engage in a debate. Scott, seriously, shut um, the hell up. <laughs> um, but I like pain. <laughs> <laughs> He loves <laughs> eternal torment. No, I just say I think it could be great. Because again, it's not an argument and it's not, it's really just you state what you believe and why you believe it, right? And I'm going to state what I believe and why I believe it. And we can ask each other questions. No, You've Keith. Got great questions. You're, no, Keith, you're wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're wrong. At the, at the end, we'll have a back. Yeah, we'll have to get a debate format. Yeah, we'll do the format. Yes. Yeah, there and then there's closing rules. statements. Yeah, there'll be rules. Time, we will time it, everything, but. I think it'd be fine. Because again, the whole point of a debate is just so that people can hear both sides of an argument side by side and listen and think, make up their own mind, right? Not for Scott. And they're going to. Not for Scott. I don't know. He did pretty good tonight. I think you did great. I think it was okay. It's better. I'm getting better. I think you are. And I think you did. So now... This, so we... how's Boise, Keith? <laughs> well, I, I, it's in my rearview mirror, so thank Oh, is God. it really? Oh, we left. I, I live in El Paso, Texas now. What? Whoa. Yeah, Whoa. you didn't know that? What? So within the last year, it's going from Southern California yep. to Boise. Yep. Lived there a year. Now El Paso. And then in October, we moved uh, to El Paso, Texas. We've been was there it because October. the mayor of Boise was running on a format of keeping Californians out? No, but that that... There is a very strong anti... Could you feel that? Oh, hell yes. Really? Dude, I took photographs of cars at, in the Trader Joe's parking lot. With a, it'll be, It's like a sticker with a, an Idaho, the shape in the shape of Idaho that says, um, fuck off, we're full. Wow. Whoa. Yes. I mean, we saw bumper stickers like that and t-shirts like that. Like, there's a very strong, in-your-face, unapologetic, if you're from California, get the hell out. Wow. So we felt that. Now, now look, there's some great people there. We met some really good people there. Uh, people we love that are there. Great, like, you know, My Craig, dad lives there. No, 
Yes. I, I lived there. And I get it. On, to be honest, I understand Jeff, why. Jeff, do you know what bumper stickers your dad has in his car? My dad's a Californian from Long Beach, and he's like, you gosh darn Californians <laughs> no, that's keep right. moving here. I'm like, Dad, <laughs> you're you a are. Californian. <laughs> yeah. But I get it, because it is it is screwing up their economy. It's turning them into a little bit of an Orange County in the sense that um, pr- housing prices are going up, but wages are staying low. And so it's creating, they're going to, I told them, I told some friends of mine that are there that give it five years and you're going to have a homeless problem. Like you will not believe, yeah. uh, because it's, they are not prepared. Their yeah, rents are going to go up. Rents are already, yeah. the year oh, that Boise's I lived there, the, the Boise, my, my rent went up way huge, crazy. You could stay in the RV park for about $600 a month. <laughs> right. So we, so because of the, because of a few things, um, we felt like, like my dad has a bit of dementia. Uh, I'm an only child. And so uh, my mom is taking care of my dad in El Paso. And so we lived there before. Um, we kind of figured out like eventually we're probably going to end up moving there anyway. Let's just go in and go there now. And it's mm. cheaper. It's actually the cost of living is much cheaper in El Paso than Boise, which was already cheaper than California. So it's kind of we're saving ourselves about $400 a month by moving there. Um and I'm working 100% remote right now. So like uh, all my income at this point is from uh, my royalties from my books, the blog, uh, podcast. I have a little bit of a Patreon support. Um, I'm t- teaching these online classes, right? And so between all these different sort of things, we're making it um, so far. Well, hopefully Wendy's going to get a job uh, down there. Yeah, Wendy. And uh, yeah, she's trying though really hard. It's been really tough to get a job in El Paso for some reason. Um, but yeah, that's what we're doing. We're in El Paso now and trying to find our place there i'll tell you why it's not boise it's not it's beautiful (laughs) boise's beautiful i don't hate boise but i'll be honest there's a real bad taste in my mouth just because of how i got there this job that that moved me there and then how they screwed me so bad um so sort of like every time it's like every time we go to walmart every time i go to out to out of my house to go shopping somewhere i'm always like Am I going to run into somebody from that other job? And you know, uh, it's like uncomfortable. I yeah. did. And a couple of times it did happen. Sometimes it'd be someone I wanted to see like, oh, cool. That guy's cool. You know, how you doing, man? And sometimes it would be like, oh, don't look it over there. It's that guy. Don't say anything. Oh, weird. So it was just, you know, it's kind of a icky kind of a, I wasn't comfortable there. And it was sort of like, what am I doing here? Why? I didn't ever want to go to Boise. I only came here for the stupid job. Now it's gone. Um, mm. Let's go live somewhere else. So that's why we started praying about it and thinking about it and decided, well, let's move to El Paso. And you mentioned, uh, you got Patreon. Yeah. You get the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Yeah. Uh, your books. Yeah. Jesus on. The Jesus on series. Yes. But your, your, um, like website, your Patreon. Yeah. Your freelance, your, your blog. Yeah. My Patheos. Yeah. Patheos. I get a, I get a little bit from Path from blogging for Patheos. I mean, I'm just saying plug your stuff Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being general. You're trying to give me, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I blog. Be specific. You go to keithgiles.com. you get the BBB pod bump? Yeah, so keithgiles.com is my blog at Patheos. He laughed. He laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if there's a bump, I'll take it. Um, yeah, I have a Patreon page uh, where you get all kinds of cool bonus, extra cool stuff I, I provide there. Um, like, I, I could do, like, Wendy and I do a podcast that's only for our Patreons, uh supporters, and I do... Uh, interviews with different people I've done. Again, it's only on the, the Patreon page and things like that. And a newsletter every week and stuff like that. So that's fun. Um, and my books, they're all on Amazon. Jesus, the whole Jesus Sun series is on Amazon. Um, and anywhere, you know, ebooks, audiobooks, uh, print. Do you read your audiobooks? 
I'm telling you, man, if it was easier to do it, I would do it. I would rather do it. Mm -hmm. But when I started wanting to go move in that direction, I saw the technical specs that Audible requires for you to do it. You got to build a studio in your house and you got to have professional equipment. Like it's not just like plug into your laptop with a microphone. It's not, if if it was, I would do it, but they won't, it'll get rejected immediately because I can't dial it in the way they want it. But the guy, there's a guy named Eric Morrison that's done my last two audiobooks, and he's awesome. I love him. He actually sounds a bit like, you know who David Sedaris is? The comedian? Yes. Okay, he sounds a bit like David Sedaris. And I'll be honest, that's why I picked him. Because I listened to his, his demo, and I was like, this guy sounds just like David Sedaris. That's hilarious. So I wanted him. And he's been he's been great. Awesome. Oh, and you guys have, uh, now through the magic of podcast time travel, <laughs> you guys are doing a... Uh, a live. live show, yes, yes, live show coming up. That this episode will precede. Oh, good. Isn't it like January fourth? Fourth. Okay, so this is, this is good. Saturday. This is good. So actually, it's a double decker. It's a tour. One, one, two punch. A twofer. January third, Friday, at the same place, Sidecar Donuts Corporate Offices. Um, I'm having a book release party for Jesus Undefeated. How did I know? You're all invited. It's free. Show up. It's fun. It'll be great. And then the next night, Saturday night, is the Heretic Happy Hour in the same place. Uh, Sychar Corporate Offices. Uh, the next night, Saturday night, the fourth, is the live Heretic Happy this Hour podcast. This is a Keith Giles weekend. I can't wait for it. It's yeah. gonna be. I amazing. don't want to wait. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it'll be. And if you listen to this after that, fine. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you missed it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy yeah. your New Year's resolutions. Everybody, Merry Christmas from the BBB Pod. Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Scott. Well, Scott wishes you eternal torment. <laughs> Burn in peace. Hey, if you believe enough, you'll make Santa's sleigh go. That's if you right. don't, he's going down in flames. That's right. He's now the... you're straw manning. Why am I defending Scott? But you're straw manning. Hey, Scott. Scott. <laughs> you guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me, thanks guys. For having you us, bet. Jeff. You bet. Annoying as ever, Scott. Thank Why don't you. Why do you benedict us, yeah. Jeff? Go ahead. Send this out. Everybody, thank you for listening to the BBB pod. This is Zach, Scott, Jeff, and our special amazing guest with Jesus undefeated, Keith Giles. Thank you so much, everybody. Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. We're out. We're out.